It's time for The Tainted Glove, starring your favorite man of questionable character, Aloha Mr. Hand. Hey, bud. Let's party. And the Holy Reverend, Kate Fitz himself. It's go time. So grab a beer, grab a bite, and settle in. It's time for The Tainted Glove. Aloha. And welcome to The Tainted Glove. Today is Tuesday, July 13th. That's right. It is the 36th anniversary of Live Aid, and it is also an all-star edition of the Tainted Glove. And with that, I welcome my partner, my friend, and an all-star, Kay Fids. How are you? I'm doing great there, Pete. Uh, yeah, uh, good to be back with me in Aloha here this week. It is also, it is the... Uh, not just the uh, Live Aid anniversary. Today happens to be the, uh, what is this? Today is the fourth anniversary of the Eloy Jimenez trade. Yes, um, it is. Otherwise known as Son of a Bitch Day. So, and some of us. <laughs> also uh, known as Hallelujah Day, depending on your point of view. I call that knee jerk reaction trade day for me. Um, I, I call that a brilliant move day. <laughs> and it's great because it's been a lot of time, you know, you know, Eloy was a Cubs draft pick. If, you know, if you don't know this already, Jesus, hello, welcome to the podcast. But um, in 2017, around this time uh, today, actually, um, Jose Quintana, White Sox, yes. very popular lefty for the White Sox, um, never really won a ton of games more than he lost, but uh, was traded to the Chicago Cubs as, as, you know, the Cubs were kind of fledging a little bit and they thought they needed one extra push instead of just figuring it out. And they went and they traded two very, 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 Good prospects in the name of Eloy Jimenez and uh, Dylan Cease, who are both extremely good. Eloy is a superstar, and uh, so today's the anniversary of me losing my uh, my my cool on Twitter. I think for the first time, that might have been my first time on Twitter where I lost my cool. And it's funny. There's if you go back and read some of my tweets, there's I tried to go back and find some today, and it says this conversation has too many replies to list, so it wouldn't let me actually like pull up the whole conversation. One of the guys in the conversation actually had deactivated that account now since then. He's just because he's now a high school co- uh, football coach, so he needed to, you know, have a, have Clean a, up. a, a pure timeline. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, it's been a, it, it, today's that day. So I woke up, uh, you know, woke up out of bed today, and the first three tweets I see are uh, the hey, member, member berries everywhere. So drink a nice glass of member berries wine. And I could tell you my memories of that day. I was tipped off the night before that something big was coming. Within the next 24 hours, I did not have names, but I was told it's big and you'll be shocked. And when the news came down, I actually called in sick that day at work just because I knew this was coming. And I wanted to listen to I wanted to listen to local sports and I wanted to listen to MLB Network Radio just to hear the reaction of it. And when I heard the news, I was shocked and I was not only shocked at the deal because. I know a lot of people were big fans of Quintana. He's a very nice guy, but he frustrated the hell out of me as a pitcher because when I refer to O2 walks and the two out rallies, he's the king of those. I cannot tell you how many games I sat at and watched him where he would get through the first two outs in an inning, generally the first inning, on about seven pitches. And you're like, this is great. He's cruising right along. Next thing you know, there's an 0-2 walk. There's a couple hits. You're going to the dugout. 
for the bottom of the first down two to nothing with about 30 pitches already logged for him. So I was okay with them trading him. I know people who were not and who got very mad at me when I said, this is a great deal for the White Sox. And I had one person, actually a female, mind you, crying that they traded him. But I really like him. He's such a nice guy. I'm like, I don't give a shit about what kind of guy he is. I don't think he fills a need. And by the time this team is good, he's going to be gone anyway. You got the best of both worlds here. And, and and that was the thing with Cub fans, too, is Cub fans were like, yeah, it's fine. They're just prospects. We've got to go for it. And this is a really good example of that window and the pressure inside that window can, some, can sometimes even fluster the great ones like a Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer, who made, I think, a, it was a horrible mistake. I mean, imagine the Cubs right now just with those two. Add those two to the lineup. I don't think anybody's worried about trading anybody at this point if they had Eloy. And I'm, I'm sure Eloy would have probably, I don't know if he would have banged through the brick wall at Wrigley. If he was out there one day, you know, he'd have gone through some, you know, but having those two guys at Wrigley and having those two guys with the Cubs right now, where the Cubs are at right now, there's no chance that this window is closing as fast as it's closing right now. Doesn't, I don't think it, I, 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 Eloy is, I mean, I think that Schwarber would have been trade bait. I think, you know, you've got so many things that would have happened when, as he developed into this great ball player that he is. Um, and, and so it's, 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 it's a bummer, but you know, drafting is one thing, you know, we talk about Eloy, Eloy was an international signing. Um, and so what just happened recently, uh, as of uh, the last couple of days, which we can talk about our opinions on, on doing it during the All-Star Weekend as well, but the, uh, the Major League Draft took place. So this, week was a, uh, this weekend was a really awesome weekend for a lot of baseball players around the country, young, young, young aspiring, young potential future major leaguers and, and uh, you, know, you know, potential future batting practice throwers too. But, um, you know, the White Sox. And potential future trade chips. Correct. And it was really interesting too because the Cubs and the White Sox back-to-back picking every single time. So it was kind of fun to like, it was like, bang, bang. And we were, you know, Cubs fans and Sox fans, Chicago was able to get these results almost on top of each other. And it was almost like if the Cubs screwed it up, it's like that dude in the fantasy draft where, where you, you, you would like, you make a bad pick and then they take pounce on like, ha idiot. I was totally going to take Nick Chubb and, and you took, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of it. Antonio Brown. Ha ha stupid. You know, I always think of, you know, using that example, one scenario in a fantasy football draft I was in in the mid 90s. And this is when running backs were. If you didn't draft a running back in the first round, you were an idiot. So the guy had the first pick overall, and I had the second pick. With the first pick, he took an aging John Elway because he was a Broncos fan. <laughs> With the second pick, I immediately, it took me all of five seconds. And this is when you did it in person before doing it through the different sites and everything else. I'm like, I'll take Emmett Smith. I'll take him. No problem. And then for some reason, I don't know how I was able to get Barry Sanders in the second round. Oh God. Needless to say, I walked away with a lot of money in that league. I have an easy one this year. I ours is a we have well we have two keeper leagues. My one keeper league is uh, I get to keep um, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubbs, and Tyreek Hill. I don't know how I got those guys. I think Chubbs and uh, Nick Chubb and um, Henry were both undervalued, and Tyreek Hill was overvalued. But I think I went Derrick Henry in the previous year. I went Derrick Henry in like the ninth pick, which I thought was fair. And then I got Nick Chubb on that turnaround, and then I got Tyreek Hill at the beginning of the 
or the on the in the third round he kind of fallen because he had gotten you know he had a kind of a down year so last year obviously or two years ago he had a or was it two years ago that he had the down year where it was like he was it was two years ago yes so got that got that value out of the pick that you know this past year and so yeah this year i'm going in by the time i draft in the fourth my first pick in the fourth round fourth round i'm gonna have nick chubb derrick henry and tyreek hill and my other league right. when you're wherever you draft a guy um as long as you don't trade him or cut him and he's on your roster for the entire year you get that guy in whatever round you drafted him in. So then you get to, when you pick your rounds, so like for me, for example, in that league, I drafted McCaffrey first last year um, overall because I had um, uh, Nick Chubb in like the seventh round. So, like, pfft, yeah. so in that, in this year in the draft now, we have 12 picks. So I'm waiting for my turn to choose where I want to pick. And of course, if I'm going to take someone like McCaffrey with my first round pick, I want the 12th pick overall. Like I want to just deepen the first round as possible and then that come around and then of course you find your sleepers or whatever. So I'm actually pumped for that, that one too. That's a weird, interesting, that's a PPR league too. So it's a little bit, you know, he's great in that league. He's a juggernaut, but quarterbacks really rule that league. So, um, and you know, and for those people asking why, why the big difference between, and again, we're talking about mid nineties, mid to late nineties, football was a totally different game back then. And it was a running back driven league back then. And the scoring in this league was, for running backs, you got a point for every 10 yards and six for a touchdown. And there were bonus points for touchdown runs of 50 yards or more. And if he broke a 75 yarder, and this is the year that Emmett Smith broke that 99 yarder on the Monday night football opener. <laughs> so I was immediately like, this is awesome. But quarterbacks were got six points for throwing or running in a touchdown, which is a net net equal with the running back but you only got one point for every 25 yards they threw. That was the difference and why you wanted to go running back. Mm-hmm. And you got penalized for fumbles and interceptions for quarterbacks and only fumbles for running backs. Yep. And it was the same points, the penalty based on who it was. Yep. So that just to explain to people why, you know, that seems like such a foreign concept now because I don't know if your league did the four points for a passing touchdown compared to six for a rushing touchdown either. Like the, I've been in leagues where there was like the quarterback's touchdown passes are four points as opposed to the six that a running back gets or a wide receiver gets to or defense. Exactly. So, well, we got the draft. So speaking of like, I mean, fantasy football, yes. we are getting closer. So we will probably talk about the heck. We'll probably have a fantasy football league. Like we have the baseball league going with uh, the pinwheels. We'll probably have something like that again. I yeah. love doing that. We did that a couple of years ago, with the sports mockery crew together. And uh, the losing, we did the Vegas, you know, our Sin City Sports Mockery group out here that was kind of like the upstart <laughs> against the Chicago one. And the loser had to like take a, an awkward picture. And then uh, sort of like your Cubs Sox picture from picture from last year with Zoe. Yeah, correct. Where the chugging at the end of it. And we're going to do that again this year. We'll have the chug, the, the, the chug bet. So hopefully the, I don't have, you know, have to chug every single game. But last well, year, I mean, the Sox and Cubs haven't played yet. So it's basically still up for grabs. O, o for O with six games to go. And I That's don't have right. to, I'm not going to be doing it after a wedding or at a wedding this time. Last time I was at a wedding. <laughs> so I, to, I do remember that, by the way. I had to pay my penance at the wedding. So, um, well, the draft Probably happened. paid your penance the next day. Yes, that did definitely um, happen. So um, the draft did take place. So, I mean, a lot of things happened. And, uh, you know, the Cubs, the Cubs uh, drafted, was it uh, 20th overall? Was that the, what, 20 the 21st, 21st, 21st? And the White Sox were 22nd. 22nd. Correct. And so with the New York Yankees at number 20. And I know that the Yankees swooped in and took the guy you were really interested in with that 20th pick. 
Because I remember as soon as I heard it, I sent you a message just sort of like, that kind of sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, it's Troy Sweeney, Eastern Illinois University, shortstop. um, Probably a guy that projects more as a third baseman or a second baseman. Left-handed bat. I loved him. And yeah, the Yankees came in. I was flustered. I was actually, I was in Minnesota. I was on a trip. We were, we were driving back, driving back from uh, some breweries. We've been at the breweries, you know, bouncing around, trying some, you know, different brews. And uh, yeah, uh, as soon as, as soon as Sweeney was taken, I don't, I think, the, I think, I think the Cubs could have probably drafted Mike Trout and I probably would have like flipped out because um, I was so dead set. I was like flustered. I was, I was on tilt. And so, yeah, the Cubs took Jordan Wicks, um, a Kansas State lefty, a guy that, the, the real bad comps. A couple, a couple of sites came out really early with some really bad comps. They basically called him a left-handed Kyle Hendricks because he has a changeup. Not really bringing in, a, you know, <laughs> bringing in the fact that he still has a, you know, he's got a big frame. He's 6'3", 220. He still hasn't hit his peak yet. He could still add some velocity. And, uh, that, you know, obviously getting in a major league program is going to obviously help that. And they say that his ceiling could be like 94, 95 miles an hour. I'll take a 94, 95 mile an hour throwing left-hander that has a fantastic changeup and really good secondary stuff. But this isn't where the comps were. And I didn't know much about Jordan Wicks. I'll be honest. I, my flip out was the fact that the pick that was available when he was selected was my second favorite pick of the draft. If Sweeney couldn't happen, I wanted a guy by the name of Colson Montgomery, who, as soon as the Cubs took Wicks, was drafted the by White Sox the White Sox. ran up and stole that pick. Fantasy draft where you draft the wrong person or you draft someone and you're like, God dang it, I forgot they were on the board. That's what it felt like to me. It hurt my soul. It was like a double kick to the gut. And I, I, again, I had, I think I had to do a, uh, yeah, I got into a couple heated debates on, on social media, but Colson Montgomery is a freak show. So tell me, again, isn't I guess, that what, isn't that what Twitter or social media is for heated debates? It's, it's to, you know, argue and, and people, people telling you you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's to take verbal abuse and cyberbullying. It's, it's, it's really a training ground for that um, whole thing. But no, uh, so, I mean, you know, when it graded out overall, I mean, both teams went and got their picks made their, you know, now that we've got the, the draft is over at this point. Um, a whole bunch of things happened. I mean, I guess, I mean, let's, let's probably jump into the White Sox because we've got some interesting stuff that we can kind of go with here too. White Sox took Montgomery in the first, a shortstop, high schooler, 6'4", 190. Um, and, uh, Projects I, as a shortstop in the future. Right. Maybe you can move him to third base. And the other thing, and I'm going to use like the money ball, old school scout look thing. He looks like a ball player. Yep. You remember how they talked about the one guy having an ugly girlfriend? That means he doesn't have confidence. I don't think that's the problem with this guy. Mm-mm. Nope, not at all. Nope. And he's a left-handed bat. Like if you look at some of the footage of him from 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 some of these videos, he has a he has a beautiful, beautiful but violent swing. He hits the ball hard. It makes a sound yes. when you hear the ball off his bat, and that is something. I don't. I you know some people don't put too much weight into it. There are some guys that when you're walking to the ballpark and you're still kind of getting your way up to the field, and you hear the ball off the bat, you're like, oh, there's a player. Where's he at? Who's who's that player? Because you know that if you hear that, there's a there's a different sound. It sounds like a like a like a shotgun blast compared to just the average, whether prep or college player. Um, even with One. even with these like you know downloaded bats now too. So it's it's a but Colson is 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 six four one ninety. His value pick or his pick at the value is three point zero three million. So that's not a bad not right. a bad thing to get for for someone that's going to probably be as close to in my opinion as close to a sure thing as a as a minimum good major leaguer, maybe even more um, in an organization that's, I think, starting to prove that they're really, really getting it figured out. Yes. And to that point, I think the case with the White Sox is they did something that surprised me, but they followed up with something that didn't surprise me one bit. 
So they went with prep players in the first two rounds, that being Montgomery and then Wes Calf, a third baseman out of Arizona who's 6'3", 200 pounds, who <laughs> was also projected to be a late first rounder as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this is the part where it gets interesting. The next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, like twelve or thirteen picks. Thirteen of fourteen. All pitchers. I think it's thirteen and fourteen. I think thirteen of fourteen picks. Yes, are all pitchers, which I am not surprised by one bit, because if the White Sox have shown us anything, it's that they are terrified of going out in the free agent market for pitching. So they're going to spend almost all of their draft capital on pitching. And, but why this actually is not a bad move to get this much pitching is because a couple of the players they took, Wes Kath, Sean Burke, Tanner McDougal, any relation to Mike McDougal? We'll get there in a second. Okay. (laughs) Are probably going to get a little bit more over slot value money. And that comes from, you're basically playing a shell game where the lower picks, you're not dedicated. You don't plan on either signing or, you know, you can get them for like 10, 20 K so that you can take your bundle of money. Cause you have a limited pool. Each team has a limited pool based on where they draft. So Pittsburgh who drafted first has the most money. And then it decreases for each team as you go down the rung. And then you have the Houston Astros who don't have draft picks, (laughs) at least in the first couple rounds, because of uh, some garbage can incident. Whoopsies. And oh, by the way, side note, uh, Sunday afternoon, Jose Altuve hit a game-winning home run. I don't know if you know this or not. To beat the Yankees. A couple things about that. First, the Yankees had like a five-run lead going into the bottom of the ninth and let it go away and never brought in Aroldis Chapman, which could be a bit could mean there's a big problem with Aroldis Chapman for the Yankees, which is huge to watch in the second half. But at the end, when uh, when Altuve hit the home run, he got his jersey ripped off after he crossed home plate. And remember at the end of the 2019. ALCS when Altuve walked off the Yankees to win the AL pennant. He talked about he didn't want his jersey ripped off because he's shy and he has a tattoo that was being worked on and it wouldn't be appropriate. There was no fucking tattoo on his on his chest. What the <laughs> hell happened to it? Where did it go? I don't know. It just magically disappeared. I guess so. Maybe he thought, oh my God, they messed it up so bad. So I'm going to get a flesh-colored tattoo over it. <laughs> Sorry, I had to vent that just because I found it so ridiculous. And people are going, well, you should worry about the fact that you gave up the home run. I go, no, to me, this is evidence, plain and simple, that he was wired. Yep. I mean, I'm not going to put it back. Again, you're pushing the limits as much as you can with those guys. I mean, and (laughs) their, their lack of contrition is just, you know, it's double down on the lie. It's like Roger Clemens when he got busted with steroids. Yep. Goes with the, uh, you know, he double, you know, just if you get caught, you just keep lying bigger. The bigger the lie, the easier it is to say, no way they're going to lie about that too. And then you kind of gas lanches a little bit. I actually thought this was pretty funny though. So you, you brought up West Cath, uh, the Desert Mountain yes. High School uh, third baseman, left hand, another left handed bat, high school talent again. 
in that round, round two, um, the Cubs took a shortstop who was listed as a third baseman in some other circles, um, 6'1", 195, um, a kid named James um, Triantos, and he's from James Madison High School, Virginia, right? And so they posted the picture of James Triantos when the Cubs drafted him. And I want to say it was Green Greenberg in Chicago. Um, John post, Greenberg? Yeah, John Greenberg posted the thing, and he's like, he looks like he was 12. Like, <laughs> looks like he was 12. And so I posted it. I made a joke. I go, dude, I loved him in Ender's Game. He was so good in Ender's Game. And uh, then, the, then the White Sox pick, you know, the White Sox take Wes Calf, and Wes Calf, you know, went from a kid that looked like he was, like, literally a, like a child actor in Ender's Game to Wes Calf, who's a six foot three galoot, 200 pounds, who looks like he's, like, 24. And so it was like such a funny dynamic. It was like, hey, congratulations. You just drafted a kid that, uh, you know, might be in a new uh, Chex Mix commercial. And then, oh, look, that guy's a lumberjack. Shit. And so it was kind of a funny, like, little little turn of events. But I know the kid the Cubs got in the second round. Uh, he's from Virginia. I'm a little bit leery, actually. Um, especially, you know, spending a pick on a guy that played in Virginia. He hit like 700 as a senior. I think he struck out one time. He was like 9-0 and on the mound as a, as a pitcher. Um I'm just going to say this right now. When you see numbers like that from a high school player, immediate reaction needs to be that competition either is horrible or this is the greatest player to ever play baseball because I'm sorry, hitting 700, 9 0 on the bump, you're not playing high level baseball. And so, what the Cubs didn't really talk about, or what a lot of us, you know, people that were, you know, rating the Cubs draft, they're, they're studying this kid's stats. What are his stats and showcases? What are his stats against commiserate talent? And that's what I've been told is that, A, he skipped a couple of workouts. He didn't show up to a couple of um, showcases where they wanted to get a chance to really see him. So he kind of like under underexposed himself, which is a good thing for him. Um, you never want to be overexposed. The more flaws they see, the more you'll drop. You want to remain a little bit of a mystery. And so... You mean something like Kumar Rocker? Yeah. And, and a couple of kids, in, in a couple of scouts, I, you know, I spoke to two scouts here that, that showed some general concern about the lack of competition that he played. Um, you know, the same concern, you know, the Wicks concern was just, again, the velocity thing. Uh, having a great changeup is a, is a nice, but again, can you break window with a, with a fastball? If not, this is a game for heater right now, and you need some velocity. You know, Kyle Hendricks is one in a million. For every Kyle Hendricks, there's a Zach Davies. So, you know, I don't, you know, that's not a great thing to kind of have that. So that's why I'm glad that Wicks actually, the more, the more I looked at it, it was much better than I thought. And he went to Kansas State, so he's more, you know, he's going to fill out a little bit quicker. But then... Uh, the Triantos kid doesn't have a lot of numbers against like quality talent. So I, I don't know. And there's a concern that his swing is too long, that he gets his arms too extended, you know, and those are tweaks you can maybe make, but you know, he seems like he takes a long time to get out of the batter's box too. He swings. I mean, his, his first step out of the box is real slow. Now he's quick on a jump, his quick twitch, you know, leading off from first looked good, but out of the box, he looked, he looked slow. He looks not slow like as a runner, but it looked like it took him a while out of a swing to get going. And that's, that's going to be problematic on a lot of time, you know, getting out of the box that one or two steps might hurt you. So he might need to paper off his finish a little bit on a swing. So with that said, the, you know, the Cubs went in the third round. They took another kid from uh, the IMG Academy, actually an Illinois kid, I believe. Um, he's actually from Illinois, even though he's listed as Florida. I think he was from, um, Oh goodness. Uh, hold on. Maybe I'll go up and pull up his number. Um, oh, they don't have his like stuff. He, yeah. He's from Illinois. Went down to that IMG Academy. The pitcher, uh, a lefty, lefty. So the Cubs got another lefty. So they drafted, you know, two lefties. With their, you know, second, and third pick. I want this. Go back. There we go. Oh, that's not what I wanted. Thanks. Um, draft tracker. Um, whoopsie. 
Um, there we go, Cubs. And uh, so anyway, he's a lefty. Uh, came out of the IMG Academy. He's again, he's he's a you know born in two thousand three, so he's a youngin, um, high school senior. But uh, he actually was again. This is a guy that was ranked one hundred seventy ninth, and the Cubs went with him in the third pick as a ninety third overall pick. So question marks there. But but for that, and the White Sox went to uh, with their pick. They went with Sean Burke, who was a six foot six freak show from Maryland. Yes. Big righty. Yes. Big righty. From what I've read, big power. And I have not really seen anything on Burke, so I can't really speak to it. But from what I've read, big power, big arm, needs needs to be cleaned up a little bit, but something that they feel they can certainly work with. And he can also get stuff off the shelf for you. Yes, exactly. And put it up there, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, a great guy to have in a pickup basketball game, I'd bet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, and then for the fourth round, they went with Brooks Goswin. I'm hope I'm saying that right. From right here at Bradley University in Illinois. And another left-handed. And another left-handed pitcher, 6'2", 205, birthday of 10998. And now it gets interesting because... You know, 10998, it means he's basically going to be 23 years old later this year, which is old for for a draft pick. He almost needs to be like ready almost. Yes, exactly. You would think this would, in theory, this should be the guy where you give him a couple weeks in double or triple A, and then you bring him up for use at the major league level based on his age. Now, again, don't know. I'm... A little skeptical of Illinois players as a whole, really Midwest players as a whole, because and that call that collegiate conference obviously is. Yes. I mean, honestly, you're talking about people that played at the ability that I played at. <laughs> That's which is <laughs> right, and it's and it's not only that they don't play year they don't play year round because you you could try and play in December, January, February. Have fun with that. Nothing I mean, but nothing but a bunch of playing in April. Nothing but a bunch of gymnasium bullpens. That's all you get in a cage that yep. drops down on, from on the basketball court. That's basically what they get. They get to throw live simulated games inside of a cage, which is nothing like an actual. You don't have wind right. shear. You don't have anything that you've got to like adjust to elements, heat, cold, everything, wind, all of it. And so you don't really get a good look. And and yeah, that's. I mean, that's. I I, I don't mean to knock it, but that's how I've always felt when I go home, um, and watch high school baseball, even in Illinois, compared to like what we see here in Vegas and stuff. The year-round matters. I mean, Arizona, Texas, California, Florida, hotbeds, freak shows. The high school teams there are college teams. You get to places like Virginia or, no offense, Illinois. You've got good players. They're there. But the development process is stunted, I think, because of their inability to get outside as much as, you know, you know these other, you know, warm-weather places. I mean, Georgia's right. still really good, too. Like, you know, we've got places... Where the we're just the talent will end up congregating too if they're really like diehard baseball people. Sometimes people move for it. Arizona. Arizona is a perfect example of people that move to Arizona just to get their kids the best shot to be a, a, a great baseball player. Like there are some obsessive parents that moved and took jobs in Arizona just because their kids would be raised up in the Arizona baseball scene, which is second only, or you know, it's behind obviously California, Florida, Texas. I think Arizona Nevada is, too. is probably the fourth of those, right? And yeah. so, but they're all really close. I mean, you go play in the Lions Invitational Tournament in San Diego every year, like we do. You see these teams. You see like a Harvard-Westlake, 
um, like that has like, like three future major leaguers in one roster. I mean, God, our Bonanza roster, we had two future major leaguers in it. You don't see that in Illinois. You see, so, you, so you'll see a kid go, is that kid going to get drafted? You know, here, you, you know, in Arizona and California, you see these kids and you're like, well, that's a pro baseball player. Like you don't, people don't see and know what a real future pro looks like at the high school level. They're looking at their five foot seven little Jimmy and saying, little Jimmy could be a D one or a D one player. You know, when you see him. A future pro, you know when you see him. It's not an offense to anybody that's not going to be a future pro. You can look at someone's athletic ability and their future and their frame and then their projectability and know exactly what they're going to be 95% of the time. And to something you said earlier about you can tell not only by build, but by how they move on the field. Fast twitch. Not only the fast twitch, but the instincts. Like I I love watching outfielders because you could tell within two balls hit to them, whether or not they have it two, because look, you look at how they track the ball, how they, and I, I always use Luis Robert as the example. I saw him in spring training of 2018. Now, first off the ball sounds different off his bat to your point. It sounds like a thunderbolt (laughs) when he connects. That's part one. Part two, you watch him in the outfield and it's just natural. You know, there's no, there's no forced movement. You know, I always tell people this, Aaron Rowand, as grindy as he was, was a terrible outfielder. He made up for terrible reads by running his ass off and being grindy. You know, everybody goes, oh, look at that great catch. It's because he read, he didn't read the ball right off the bat and he made it a lot harder than it needed to be. And I've been waiting for people and I think, this hasn't happened yet because last year there were no fans in the stands and this year he got hurt, but I'm waiting for people to complain that, Oh, he's not grindy. And you know, Luis Roberts, not grindy enough. We don't see him hustling. He looks lackadaisical out there. Yeah. Because he knows how to read the ball and get to it without having to bust his ass. Correct. And that's, that's the, the, the effortlessness of a well um, God gifted athlete. It's like, how hard is it for a gazelle to run fast or a cheetah to move fast? It, it's not. But to us, we're like, holy crap. So if a cheetah was going at 80% speed, we would like, I don't know, the, the way that we transcribe that, it's just, it's, it, we translate that. It's just different. So like when you see a guy like Eli, Eloy, or you look at a, 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 Luba, a Luis Robert, um, they move differently because they are different, you know? And that's the, the, the people think that because it's so easy to them that it's just them not working hard. And that's the kick. Even KB gets that a lot because, again, if you're not showing emotion and, and running around hooting and hollering like a circus clown, apparently you're not hustling or you're apparently not working hard or you're just doing it because you're you're in control of your body and you have full control of your capacity of to, to move and twitch and, and get to a baseball and break and read and, and time slows down for these great athletes. So it's just interesting to see how people, again, judge that. And what you that, that point right there is one of my least favorite things that people criticize athletes for. He doesn't look like he's hustling out there. Did they make the play? Did he catch the ball? Right. Did he get there? Did he, did, he, did he take a step off? Did he take a play up? No. Then stop. Just because it doesn't look what you think it should look like, it's not doesn't mean it's not effective. And I hate to bash Sox fans a little bit for this, and I'm guilty of this too to a certain extent, where all you've seen is mediocre to bad for years. You forget what good looks like. You forget what naturally gifted looks like and you think there are certain players oh my god he's you know 
we can't get rid of this guy. We can't get rid of that guy. And we're going to talk about the trade deadline in a little bit. You know, we can't get rid of this guy. We can't get anyone is available. As I've said before, and I will stick to all time, right now there are only two athletes in Chicago history who I would say were untouchable. Two. Neither one played baseball, by the way. (laughs) One wore number 23 for the Bulls, and the other wore number 34 for the Bears. And I've had people go, well, what about Brian Urlacher? Like, okay, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed were better linebackers than Brian Urlacher in his day. That's where the, that's where the Cubs that's where Chicago sports fans get caught in that sentimentality. Brian Urlacher, yes. people were upset when Brian Urlacher wasn't brought back to the Bears because his time had passed. He wasn't projecting as going to be, but like, oh, well, well he did what he did for the organization. You don't pay people for what they did; you pay people for what they're going to do. Um, and you, so well, the I disagree. Th- that's you what do it, pe- you do pay people for what they did. They're called ambassadors. True, and if but but if you're doing that, like for example, like Chris Bryant, Chris Bryant was paid like Jason Hayward I mean, Chris, in his first three years. I think his, his total salary was like maybe $12 million. He made over three years, his MVP candidate season when he won the MVP. I think he was paid like 500 or 600,000. Six, yeah. It? it was like not even, it was like half a million. So yeah, you want to come back and pay those guys back. Well, if you're a you know class organization, if they're in, if they're going to be in their prime, if they're on the downside of it, I hate to say this, but like, like Anthony Rizzo, you don't pay Anthony Rizzo. You pay him for what he does as an ambassador, but you don't pay Anthony Rizzo like Anthony Rizzo three years ago. He's got back issues. He's got these physical limitations. He's he's showing some of his age now, and he's not that old. But but now, when you look at these contract offers, you pay someone for for the for what they're going to be paid to do, which is you know projected you, future value, not past performance. Exactly. Ask the Tigers how they feel about that Miggy Cabrera contract. Correct. Mm-hmm. And so that's a you know that's a dangerous place to be. But um, right. So now when, when you get into the draft, so like with the Cubs, uh, they, the Cubs in the fourth round, you know, we just finished the, the third round for the Sox. They took a, right. the Cubs took a fourth rounder kid from Arkansas, University of Arkansas. His name is Christian Franklin. Now for me, this one kind of restored my faith in the Cubs draft. Um, Christian Franklin was projected to be a late first, early to mid second rounder. He struggled with contact a little bit in 2021. He is a five tool athlete. I, Top to bottom, he's 5'11". He's 195. He is going to hit 20 homers, steal 20 bases. He's going to be a guy in, 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 your, in, in your outfield for a long time. He's a plus defender. I think the Cubs got a huge steal. I mean, he was ranked as, you know, like I think the, the, the MLB app has him at 52nd ranked prospect. He was drafted at 123rd. Fantastic value pick right there. You Again, you, I'm, uh, you, know, you, know, you know I talked about before we started. I am someone that believes in drafting best available talent, period. I don't draft. I don't drafting for need is a dangerous, slippery slope where you're basically going to miss someone that's special because you were too busy looking for a left-handed starter out of the bullpen or or a, or a left-handed starter, you know, for your rotation or a, you know a middle reliever out of your bullpen. If it's the best player available, you you strike. And so Franklin dropped, and I, this one was huge because this is this kid has a high upside, and he could be one of those players that if they figure if they if they really grow into who they're supposed you know could be projectively, especially with the, getting that contact short up. Holy smokes, the Cubs outfield will be very good with him, Brennan Davis, um, and then some of the other younger ball players that are coming up for the Cubs right now, too. So this is a huge one. The Drew Gray kid, again, that they drafted in the third round could be very good, too. He's a left-handed bat. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so that's 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 the fourth round for the uh, for the white or for the Cubs. And then we go, you know, we did the we did Bowen and then and the Bradley kid we talked about. So all right, let's talk about it. All right. In the so fifth round. In the fifth, I have to talk. Wait, before <laughs> before you go. I have to say, 
the fifth and sixth round for the White Sox is sort of the family rounds because you get Tanner McDougal in the fifth round, who was from Silverado High School in Nevada. Maybe he knows somebody on this podcast. Maybe he doesn't. I'm sure we'll find out soon. But then in the sixth round, you have Taylor Broadway, who I don't know if he is the child of Lance Broadway or not, a former White Sox first round draft pick way back in like 1999, 2000, somewhere around there, who never really panned out. But my understanding is that Tanner McDougal had a coach a while back uh, who happens to be my partner on this podcast. So I will leave him give you the scouting report. <laughs> yeah, if you've heard the name Silverado High School out of Las Vegas, Nevada, Henderson, Nevada, that would be because that's where I teach and that's where I've coached for the last four years. Um, Tanner's one of our guys. Um, he is a kid. Uh, this this was a huge pick, man. I you know, we had heard that they were kicking the tires. He had just thrown a you know a live bullpen for the for the Red Sox on the field. Red Sox were really interested. Um, and I've known Tanner, you know, for since he was a little, little, little mutt, little get little dude. Um, his dad at the Silverado High School. Okay, so let me go ahead and give you some preface. A little back, back. Those of you that don't know Las Vegas baseball, okay, if you guys aren't familiar with the Las Vegas baseball scene, which I will say is, you know, in the top six or seven communities, you know, statewide. I guess you, if you want to include Reno, but uh, you know, Nevada itself producing baseball prospects. Um, the don't Southern forget, Nevada, Las Vegas produced prospects such as. Greg Maddox, Bryce Harper, Chris Bryant, and the Maddox brothers, if I remember correctly. Mike Morgan. Uh, I mean, we can go down the list of of you know Joey Gallo. I mean, it's, well, it's, we'll talk about you. Know, I mean, these future White Sox. Hint, hint. Oh, but yeah, but we got so this is this this bar program, Silverado's baseball program. Um, so Coach Witt, who is the we call him Skip. Uh, Skip. For for me personally, um, when I met Skip. It was in 2001. I was, I was my, I just got out of college. I was a sports writer at the local newspaper here. And, uh, I got to know Skip because obviously he was one of the best in town. Now everyone here in Nevada, Las Vegas, blah, 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 talks about a coach named Roger Fairless. Roger Fairless was the coach at Valley high school who was the head coach. Um, he won eight state titles or whatever during his, or six straight state titles when he was a head coach, he was always coaching, coached a ton of major leaguers like Greg Maddox, you know, Tyler Houston, um, you can go down this whole list of, of you know, great ball players, And he won. Um, in fact, Coach Witt was at first a player under uh, Roger Fairless uh, at Valley High School, which was, the, again, the, the big, the best baseball school in, in Las Vegas at the time. So Witt coached under, played under him, uh, went to play college baseball, um, and then played for the Reds organization. In fact, was a second baseman in the Reds organization. Actually, he tells this great story about spring training. He was invited with the big club, and he was turning double plays, um, you know, throwing, you know, turning feeds, and throwing a guess who's overstanding at first base, Pete Rose. Um, and so, he, you know, you know, he's talking about Chris Sabo and telling me stories about Chris Sabo, you know, never slept. So Chris Sabo during spring training got a morning job at McDonald's to serve breakfast because he didn't want to sit around. So he actually worked at McDonald's before we would go to spring training and work out with the team. So um, anyway, so Witt, you know, has some really good baseball experience. After his playing days were over, he came back. He actually played, uh, coached under Fairless for, I think, a second and then took over at Valley High School where, again, so he had coached Greg Maddox too, like as an assistant, has a good relationship with Greg actually because they were both young guys. Um, takes over at Valley High School. So in 19, in a, again, he's he's an old, he's an old, you know, he's one of the highest baseball IQ people I've ever, maybe the highest I've ever been around in my entire life. Um, I have two mentors, Coach Witt and Coach Chambers, who was the head coach at CSN, College of Southern Nevada, National Championship. He passed away, unfortunately, a couple of years ago. Um, which was very, you know, that, that was a, a little rough little spell, but, um, the, uh, 
Coach Witt comes in, and in 1994, Silverado High School is opened. It's an expansion school as Vegas continues to grow and Southern Nevada grows. And so he took over. He, he was given the job as their first high school coach at, in Silverado High School. So from 93 on, he built, or 94 on, he built this program to be what it was. State championships, um, countless major leaguer guys that have you know, been drafted or played major league baseball, pro baseball, college baseball players. It, it's, uh, um, it's, it, it's the, uh, the, um, you know, it's, it's, it's knowing that, uh, um, that he just builds this program out and it's built on character, integrity, hard nosed baseball, old school mentality. I could tell you a lot of white Sox fans, the younger ones that don't like Tony La Russa probably would probably take issue with how coach Witt operates. You know, he's, he's not as Tony La Russa ish. He's, he's, he's different, but he believes in the old school mentality. His, his, you know, his hashtag is old school and he loves it. So he builds this program out. Um, and so Silverado has been one of the best baseball programs in Southern Nevada. The, the, the program has never not made the playoffs ever. Um, in his entire career as a, as a coach, coach Whitaker coach teams have always made the playoffs. He has never not made the playoffs in his career. And he's obviously a great dude, a great mentor. So in the nineties, one of his players at Valley high school was a gentleman, a young man by the name of Mike McDougal, big six foot four galoot. Um, I think I've told the story on here before about how, uh, coach Witt came out of coming out of the dugout and he saw one of the players had the dude up on the dugout by his throat. Cause he, cause the guy didn't, you know, hustle during a game and they were having a, a behind the dugout after the game kind of conversation. And it's like, Oh, okay, good luck guys. Didn't see you. Have a good day guys. Um, and, uh, but Madugal was a big dude. He was a legend here, a local Southern Nevada baseball legend. If you ask people that played during the time period that he was in high school, those people, there are very few of these. Well, if they did it, you know, I, you know, I had a home run off of Mike Madugal once. Like it's, it's like basically like beating, um, you know, getting a, getting a hit off one of the best, you know, he was a legend here. He played first base. At, this is cooler. I didn't know this until a couple days ago. I didn't realize this as a player in the Cardinals organization. And as a professional athlete, he played all the way up to triple a Mike McDougal was a pitcher and he also logged 152 games as a first baseman. And just for clarity purposes, this is not the Mike McDougal who actually pitched for the white Sox and Kansas city Royals in Correct. like the late 2000, you know, the late zeros, 2000s, whatever you want to call it. So uh, we're going to go ahead and take a pause. I'm going to go ahead and break this real quick. I just got the approval from uh, Mike, who we were speaking of, speak of the devil. Mike, has uh, he's, he's given me permission to uh, go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. Tanner McDougal is officially signing with the Chicago White Sox. As we're speaking about him, uh, Mike's text came in. That's a, that's a random, we must have been on the save Wayne Blake. So t- Tanner is a Chicago White Sox he signed. Um, he has. He is going to be signing with the White Sox. So that is a done deal there. Um, so anyway, that is fantastic. So breaking congratulations, news, breaking, Tanner. Breaking news on the on, on the on the uh, our first Tanner Glove breaking story. Ho- hopefully, we get you to throw out a first pitch this coming weekend. <laughs> I don't know he, how to do now, this. Do you know has is he travel like he's got to be traveling to Chicago to actually sign all the paperwork? I would imagine and take his physical and everything else. Correct. And so I'm trying to, I got to post this, uh, but I want to figure out a way to post this before it sneaks out. Um, anyway, so yeah, so we'll come back to that in a second. I'll worry about social media stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes. um, so Mike was a legend here. So Mike played all the way up through uh, AAA. He has a baseball pedigree. He was a big guy too. And so Mike and Wit, uh, you know, Mike's, you know, Wit's been his, you know, coach since he was, you know, a little dude, a younger dude too. So Tanner grew up in the Silverado program. Tanner was born into the Silverado program. He was born, I mean, Whitaker, Coach Wit has known him since he was, um, uh, all-star update going into the bottom of the second inning, 
The AL leads one to nothing, and Lancelin is on the mound. Oh boy! So, so yeah. So, Whit Tanner was he was raised in the Silverado program. So Tanner um, was a bat boy um, for such players as Drew Robinson um, or uh, Chase Bradford, who pitches, I think, for the Braves organization. Um, he's been around this this organization since he was born. I mean, or this this program since he's born. So he's no Coach Whit the Whit the Whitaker brothers actually. Coach Coach Brian Whitaker is the head coach. Coach Barry Whitaker is his brother, and they are two the two finest men I've ever known. Um, I can say that a million times over. And so Tanner was raised in the hard nose. He was raised in the character is as an integrity is as important as performance. He has been raised as a, you know, um, you know, well, you know what? How about this? How about I don't tell you anything? How about I just let the old let, let the old skipper tell you guys a little bit about Tanner McDougal, if you'd like. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and uh let you guys know this is this is what Coach Witt had to say um, about Tanner and what the White Sox are getting. Now, anytime you have a guy or know a guy that is a personal acquaintance or friend, whatever it may be, gets drafted, it's a great feeling. You know, it doesn't matter what sports you're talking about on draft day or you know draft weekend or whatever it may be. Sports people really get into it, and it's a you know, it's an awesome deal. Um, as far as Tanner getting drafted in the fifth round, you know, it, it's something that you just immediately feel a sense of pride uh, and happiness for that person. And nobody deserves it better than than Tanner McDougal and, and his family. Uh, you know, I feel blessed to have been a part of it and all the good guys that have, have helped uh, throughout his life, in his baseball life, and, and 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 just raising him as a person, you know, outside of the great job that his family's already done, um, you know, everybody feels a sense of pride in it, and so draft day just becomes that much more of a special moment. Um, you know, you yourself uh, were a big part of of his development, so I know you feel the same way, Kevin, and and it's just one of those days where we can sit back and go, hey. We must have done something right and uh, feel really good for somebody that we love. So, yeah, and um, so that's, that's Coach Witt. Sorry about the, the duplicate on that one. The, my, my phone shut off a little bit, but, you know, you're hearing about a guy. You know, that's, that's, from, that's from the old dog, man. That's from the, uh, the dude that's uh, um, has, uh, I don't I'm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And so, um, yeah, so the, just hearing that from Witt, again, that's, that's, that's the guy. That's the guy that if he makes a phone call for a player to a Division One baseball program or any college program, sight unseen, they're going to take the kid. So, um, and he's right. Uh, for, you know, so Tanner, is, you're getting a great kid. Chicago White Sox fans, you're getting a hard-nosed kid. You're getting a kid, again, that was brought up in a program that, that plays the game. You know, you're going to hear this a ton. Plays the game the right way, respects the game. Now, he's a great kid. Let me tell you about Tanner elsewhere. You're getting a kid that, A, um, is, is a tall, he's a six, six kid. He's got incredible spin rate on his off speed. He's going to fill out as a ball player. He's a six foot six frame. That's going to only get larger. His dad is a big galoot. He's going to be a big guy, like a Lance Lynn size, like a big dude. Um, he's going to, his velocity is going to continue to increase. He has slowly been building into his frame as he grew as a high school and as a young man. And so he's going to only get better from this. Um, and so he's always been around good people. He's got a great support system. His dad, his mom are fantastic people. Like I said, Mike Dugues is 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 incredible. 
you know, we've traveled with these guys. I've known these guys for 17, 18 years. Uh, in Coach Witzway's case, obviously 21 years. But it's just incredible to see that this was a, that was a huge moment for me to see this, you know, to, to enjoy um, the White Sox fans seeing someone get picked, but also seeing the people that I care about um, have an opportunity to, 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 you know, live their dream. And so Tanner also, by the way, it's kind of ironic. Tanner wears crazy socks. I love it because I used to wear crazy <laughs> socks in high school. And so it's ironic that the White Sox took him because there's nothing White Sox in his drawers. Everything is a colorful American flag. He's a Cardinals fan. So Cardinals socks, he would wear these socks to practice. And I love the sock game. I love Tanner's sock game. So um, Tanner's, you know, the Cubs are getting a quality dude who has he Cubs? Had, I mean, sorry, the, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Was, I was, you guys going to trade him up? I was sorry. I'm, uh, sorry. The White Sox have getting a great dude um, who uh, has a Freudian slip, I guess. Um, who who really does? He's got swag. He's he's confident, but not cocky. And he, you know, and and he is going to be a guy that that will develop into it. But I, I, you know, yeah, it's nice to see. You know, you know, my impact on Tanner is minimal when one compares to what Coach Witt. Coach Barry Witt, uh, Coach Brian Whitaker, the head coach, Coach Barry Witt, you know, his, his assistant for decades, Jose Loza, a Silverado's pitching coach for 17 years. Jose is, in my opinion, the best pitching coach in the state of Nevada. One of the best c- pitching coaches probably in the high school level in the country. He's a, he's a 2020 assistant coach of the year, region, region seven coaches, uh, coach of the year, uh, assistant coach of the year. So Tanner has learned. And of course, obviously Mike McDougal, you think names like Josh Towers, you guys know who Josh Towers is. He's grown around, grew up around Josh Towers. I mean, Towers, you know, these are people that he's been around his entire life. So Tanner is coming from a pedigree. And that's what I get more excited about is Tanner is one of those kids that when you look at it, um, you're going to see a kid that's going to develop into something more because there's, 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 he does have that it factor. Um, I will compare, I will say this. I can put him on the same level as like a, like personality wise, ethics wise, character wise, hustle wise, play the game wise, very much like a, like a pitcher, like Chris Bryant. It would be like a pitcher version of Chris Bryant. Or Chasen Shreve, a guy that I coached. These guys come from the same mold. Um, you know, if you guys, White Sox fans, might remember a guy by the name of Mike McDade who played for the White Sox for a while. Mike McDade came out of the Silverado program. I mean, there's so many. Drew Robinson, who we've all seen go through, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, the bravery of showing his, you know, the, the mental illness uh, and, ba- you know, struggling with, you know, with anxiety and whatnot in the game. These are people that come from this. These are character-driven dudes. So the White Sox are getting a character-driven guy. And I'm just, I'm really ecstatic about it because Tanner also is a great kid. Like, he's hilarious. White Sox fans will love it. 108 fans will love Mike and Christy, his parents. They are cut out. You know, they are cut out for the 108. I'll tell you right now. Uh, so, well, and they, you they, can they, tell them that if they're in town this weekend, we will be there and they're more than welcome to stop by. And the first beer will be on me. And I quote from Dukes <clears throat> that section 108 sounds awesome. <laughs> I am in. So there you go. And Christy will get you too, man. Don't even, don't even try it. Christy, Christy is, yeah. White Sox fans are going to love this whole family uh, as Tanner, you know, hopefully, you know, God willing, the, the, the whole process goes and he, you know, you guys see him thrown in, out of the rotation one day. Um, so that's, you know, that's for me, that was the biggest, you know, I, I had gotten some bad news on Sunday night. Tanner's news was just one of the most amazing turn of events. He wasn't projected to go. We had another guy, Chris Cortez, who's going to Texas A&M, who was projected to go higher. Chris didn't even get taken in the first, he didn't get drafted at all. Um, and I obviously that's probably the signability stuff, but Tanner fifth round and you know, and he signed, I mean, it's, it's, he's a white Sox on this broadcast, which is great. So- and I have to ask you about something I read about Tanner because, you know, obviously when Tanner was drafted, 
I can't, I think we were sending each other a message simultaneously. You celebrating and me asking, is this one of your guys? And you then showed me a scouting report for him that you got a little worked up by questioning the coach the coachability that he had what was it again no it was the uh, he had very little professional development during his life like like he had never been around pro baseball players i'm like he literally grew up around pro baseball players current former and you know future so he was the bat boy at silverado when he was six man the dude was like raised on the diamond it's hilarious that was that was somebody that didn't do their due diligence maybe they were thinking about the his his spring coach who his his first year head coach after whatever whatever um, but in the reality is his coach and his coach will always, his high school coach will always be Brian Whitaker and, and Tanner will do coach Whit proud. The skip is, is again, I got, I, I, guys, I couldn't, I couldn't, if there's somebody that I could tell you that for me, and I'm, I'm going to try not to get emotional has changed my life. It's coach Whit, And I'm sure Tanner will say the same. I'm sure Dukes would say the same. I'm sure Chad Robinson would say the same. I would say this is a, a man that deserves so much credit and he's going to retire as the greatest baseball coach in the history of Nevada. And I owe my entire life to this guy. So um, it's a, it's good to see another one of us go. You know, we're all we're all wits. We're all under wits, whether we're a Skyhawk or a Bonanza Bengal. The Chris Bryant tree is Chris Bryant's coaching staff besides myself, Silverado grads, Coach Whit products. Like it continues. I mean, it's generational at this point. So um, and we can kind of well, move con- on. But but yeah, I'm going to. Congratulations. Quit. I know that. And as we're recording this, we're obviously on a Zoom session looking at each other. And you could just see the pride and joy like radiating out of FIDS as he's talking, almost like a, a father whose son just graduated from college and got the, you know, got the big job and everything else. So congratulations on that. Uh, and congratulations to their family as well. And hopefully that they're, they're in town this weekend. And like I said, my offer stands. I will buy them the first round of beer they have in the ballpark. Well, they actually might be the second because I would hope that they have some champagne or something upstairs when he signs that contract with them. <laughs> I don't know. Dukes would probably rather crush a whiskey and a beer. Maybe give, well, him, a, give him a beer and a the, bump. <laughs> well, the 108 is right next to the Jack Daniels old number seven bar. So that could be done too. I have a feeling Dukes might be a fan of the Jack. So uh... <laughs> my kind of guy. Something tells me, <laughs> but you know, uh, an all-star game update, Lance Lynn got through the bottom of the second inning with no damage. So they are in the top of the third with two outs and it is one to nothing AL, but the all-star game being tonight leads into the second half of the season. And as we get into the second half, we're obviously starting with the trade deadline, which is coming up on July 3rd. 30th, not July 31st. People usually think it's July 31st, but this year it's July 30th. And I think it has something to do with the calendar and everything else because MOB doesn't want their offices open on the weekend or something like that because they're cheap. I don't know. That's just speculation on my part. But for the second half, what do you think the Cubs are going to do? Um, you know, I, I, and I think Jesse Rogers has kind of parroted a little bit of this this morning. We've talked about it here on the show before that I think that the Cubs are, are better off you know, extending a qualifying offer at the end of the season, hanging on to all three of the big threes, the the, the Bryant, Baez, uh, Rizzo, give them a QO and see if you can't get those comp picks in the 2022 draft, which is going to be loaded. It'll be more loaded than this draft, I believe. And so that's where I think the Cubs should go. Um, Jesse Rogers seemed a little bit more resigned to, resigned to it yesterday on the when he was on the, or maybe today 
whatever day he was on he the was, radio with uh, he was on this he was on this morning on uh your favorite person show oh okay uh, he was the on cap and hood show maybe it was the cap and hood show that he was talking about it, but it seemed like he was kind of getting more reserved to that now with the bullpen kimbrel my guy chaffee my andrew chaffin my oh my guy um and other some of these other arms maybe not um if you know if the cubs are gonna make some moves I think at this point, because of the contract situation with those three guys, I think you're more going to be more inclined if the Cubs will make a move to have them make moves with guys that have more team control, which puts a guy like Wilson Contreras, who we can maybe talk about his public, you know, and that's, I, I kind of lost my cool on Saturday night, but his public uh, comments about, um, you know, only me and Javi are trying hard right now. Shut up, Wilson. Okay. Who's the first guy at the ballpark? You know why you can't tell me that question? Because you're not the first dude at the ballpark, so you wouldn't know. Um, but talking about hustle and whatever, so Wilson Contreras might have put himself in that position. Um, somebody busted a TV in the, in the dugout as well, a monitor in the dugout. I wonder who that was. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff going on in that. So you're going to look and see the Cubs do a lot more, I think, you know, bullpen guys. Uh, maybe even a Zach Davies might end up out. Um, and they're going to – I don't think they're going to make any – I don't think the big three – will get moved. And so I think they'll take that QO and I think they'll take that, um, the, the, the comp picks, uh, which is like roughly around like 70th pick or something like that, maybe next year. And we see this year, what great value you got a seven. If you were the seventh, the overall pick, you had like 70, 71 and 72 or something like that somewhere in there. Or if you had multiple picks around that area, that's a lot of talent right there that falls to you. Especially we're seeing a lot of these teams weren't, you know, the Royals, for example, I think a bunch of the Royals picks were like, or maybe it was the Orioles were picks that weren't even like, uh, like even in the top 150 in a lot of these, you know, no, wasn't Cincinnati, wasn't it Cincinnati or the Detroit was it Detroit too. Somebody okay. did. It might've been somebody. Cincinnati like, had a couple good ones. And so did the uh, Marlins. Right. But uh, you know, and, and the thing is to what you're saying, and I think this is something that people don't connect the dots with in baseball, the business of baseball, not the game, but the business of baseball, it's like trading commodities. You want to buy low and sell high. Right now, there's a couple candidates, I think, on the Cubs that are perfect, that fit that perfectly. And the Cubs could, I'm not saying they will or should, but they could do what the White Sox did uh, in after the 2016 season. And would they would they entertain trading Kyle Hendricks? Because you have him on a reasonable contract for multiple years and you might be able to get great value in return for that similar to what the white Sox did with chris sale in getting back Kopech and moncada right and again i think people need to understand you're not saying trade the player for the sake of trading it's all about buying low and selling high that's that it's that it is it is that simple. Uh oh, whoops! <laughs> Put the Arsenal game on. Sorry about that. And that's the thing is, and there's a lot of people that are like the same thing with the Chris Bryant thing, or even the Javi Baez. As much as I, you know, I get frustrated with Javi, the value is too much to just trade someone to trade someone. Like just because, like no, it, 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 if you're going to trade for a bunch of mid to low level prospects, or you can get one or two really good selections in a really talented draft. Wouldn't you take the top part of a, a really talented draft over some kid that was drafted like three years ago and has been hitting 180 for for two or three seasons and you know, hasn't figured it out yet and takes it you know take a gamble? The gambles that you don't have, you know what Chris Bryant's going to be, you know what Javi Baez is going to be, you know what Anthony Rizzo is going to be. 
you offer those guys a QO or maybe more, and it gives you time to like negotiate with them in the offseason. And you could maybe keep one or two of those guys. I hope the Cubs keep KB. Obviously, I, obviously I'm biased, but he's the most valuable player on the team, and he needs to be around, it, especially for these younger prospects that are coming up eventually. Javi, you know, I think you can get a better shortstop next year on the free agent market if you're willing to pay. Trevor Story, you can get maybe even a Seager. You can find somebody that that I believe would be an upgrade over Javi. I don't think you're going to, but we think about, we, I used this example the other day. Think about Chicago Cubs and how miserable it's been over the last 60, 70 years at third base for the Chicago Cubs. There have been two good third basemen prior to Chris Bryant in like 60 years, Ron Santo and then Aramis Ramirez. And other than that, it's been the Mike Oltz, the, the Louis Salazar's, the Vance Laws, the, you know, you can go down the list of just, it's a graveyard. It's like the Chicago Bears under the, in the quarterback spot. And now imagine if the Bears, I'm going to use this as a perfect example. Imagine Justin Fields, pans out and becomes an MVP, wins an MVP like in year two or three, the Bulls or the Bears win the Super Bowl, you know, he's an MVP and then his contract time comes up. And instead of dropping the money and saying, heck yeah, we got ourselves, finally got ourselves a quarterback, fans start calling for him to be traded because they don't want to pay him. Let's go ahead and just go to the draft. Let's, let's trade him for draft picks. Trade him for draft picks. We finally got our quarterback. Now let's trade that quarterback for draft picks and we'll do it all again for another 60 years. This is what I compare the Chris Bryant situation to. You have the third baseman you've been begging for for more than a half a century, and now you're willing to let that person go because you don't want to pay them fair share and somewhat below market for a no-trade clause, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and you're going to trade them for prospects for teenage kids that may or may not pan out? It doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, that's that's where... So I think that the, hopefully the Cubs were moving... Um, they're going to move their bullpen guys, which will make it a little bit more difficult to win in, in, in the end. But those younger guys, the younger arms in the system that are starting to develop can maybe come up. Um, Brennan Davis in the Futures game on Sunday hit two jacks. Kid's a freak show. He'll be coming up pretty soon. He's an Ian Happ upgrade. Ian Happ maybe got, maybe Ian Happ needs to go. I don't know. But um, he has team control and a morale blend coffee. And so, um, and a podcast actually is a really good podcast. But um, anyway, so that's, that's, that's where I think. I think the Cubs are going to be moving more arms than any of these guys or team control guys. So that's where I'm going. What do you think about what the White Sox are going to do? Well, what do I think they're going to do versus what I want them to do? Because those are two vastly different things. What I think what I think they should do is they need to address second base. I think that's a universal feeling everyone has. And there's a couple candidates out there that people keep talking about. Eduardo Escobar and Adam Frazier. There's pluses and minuses for both players. The plus for Escobar is that he's a plug-and-play piece who's gone at the end of the year. He's a free agent at the end of the year, so in theory, you shouldn't have to give up that much for him. And you leave second base open for Nick Madrigal starting next year when he is supposed to return. The minus is he's, he's just there. I don't know necessarily if he's an upgrade compared to what they have. Now you have Adam Frazier. The plus is he's having a career year and I'd like to have the mojo going with him. The minus is he signed beyond this year. And, but I think it can be determined to be a plus too, because Lurie Garcia is a free agent at the end of the year. You can take, you could take uh, Frazier and move him into the Lurie super, super sub, you know, Swiss army knife role next year. And 
have Madrigal play second. And if Madrigal's scuffling, you could plug Frazier right back in there. It's not a problem. So I think what could be a minus could also be a plus. Now, you have to factor in the business aspect of it, too. Do they want to invest in a Frazier because of the roster they have and because of the extra year on the contract? That's the question I have. What I would do, to be honest with you, is I would invest in Escobar, as weird as this sounds, because I would use that savings to invest in other areas as well. You absolutely get another pitching arm in the bullpen. Get another arm, without question. You can always, you never have enough arms. And to be honest, if I'm the White Sox, I do call the Cubs and ask them about separately, mind you, not together. Uh, what about Kimbrell? Wouldn't Kimbrell and Liam Hendricks look like a great one two combo in the eighth and ninth inning? You want to talk about lockdown. You're getting, you possibly are getting to 2015, you know, 2014, 2015 Kansas City Royals, six games, and here comes the bullpen and it's over type of territory. And I would ask him about Contreras too. You got a hole of catcher right now. You could always flip Contreras in the off season, or I believe he has an option for next year. Just decline the option and let him become a free agent. No, next year he's he's still got he's still under he's still arbitration. He's only arb one right now. He's going to arb two next year. Oh, is he? Yep, then, yeah. And and the thing is, the Cubs have Miguel Amaya coming up. Miguel Amaya yeah. is potentially projected to be a better overall player um, than Contreras eventually. Like Amaya is about a year away. So you you know, it's it's a it's a fillable gap. If you yes. were to trade uh, Contreras away now, he's got team control. He's got a year. He's got this year and next year, and they're not going to have to worry like with a KB trade or a hobby trade or a Rizzo trade. Will we extend this guy? Is it just a rental? Wilson Contreras is not a rental. Ian Happ is not a rental. Craig Kimbrell, I think there's a team option, so he's not technically a re- rental. I don't know if it's a player option or a team option. I can't remember. I think it's. I believe it's a team option. It's either a team or mutual. Okay, and so you've got that. So, so and and Chafe, you know some of these other guys, you, you, they're relievers. You just you need you need arms to for the stretch run, and then you can figure out that stuff in the off season. So like the big ones, I think might not. Everyone's been hyping all this stuff up. I mean, God, Chris Bryant's been traded every day, every weekend, freaking since for three years at this point. I keep hearing Mets for Chris Bryant, which is great because you didn't like the Mets. So, uh, that's even funnier. Is that uh, I have been told, like at least up until recently, I have been told the Mets never called when they were reported that the dude from the SNY network, which is by the Joe way owned, De- Joe DeMeo, owned by the Mets, reported that the Mets have called. I was told at that point that it never happened. Um, that the Dodgers were the only team that called, and so uh, you know, the Mets. You know, the, people think the Braves that keeps popping up. Why would the Braves in a losing season trade for a rental like that? And it's a shame that Acuna is gone for the year. It really is a shame. Right, but that's a, that, that they're done. I mean, they're toast. Like, yeah. there's no reason for them to, to delve out some prospects for a kid that's gonna. You know, it's been pretty clear that. I mean, if you really talk to, you know, if they would just give a call to Scott Boris, Scott Boris, tell him warm weather teams, cold weather teams need not apply unless you're the Cubs. And that's a, that's a very, very important thing that people need to realize. Are they going to pay this much for a rental? No. Good. I'm glad that Jed holds to his guns. This is how much it's going to cost you. If they want to pay it, hell yeah, take it. Cause that's a huge, huge deal for the Cubs organization as well. But please, please fans. I need to say this. Stop thinking that this is some sort of an Araldis Chapman, New York Yankees thing. If the Cubs trade Chris Bryant, it's over. Chris Bryant will not be coming back after the season, after they've traded him and he's got to live out of his luggage away from his family for the next three months. He's not coming back. And That ship and will have I, sailed. And can I say something about Chris Bryant? 
watching the all-star game red carpet show and all the pregame festivities, there's one thing that stood out about Chris Bryant more than anything else, wherever he went, his kid was with him everywhere. He went, his kid was with him. He's walking the red carpet. His wife's not there. His kid is. And he's walking around like the, the proudest dad in the world with his kid, which tells you he wants to be with his kid. And they, their home is in Las Vegas, isn't it? Correct. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They live right so, on. I, I'm pointing. They live like two blocks over there. I can yeah. walk. I can walk to the house. <laughs> so. Which I will when he's home in the winter. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Peeking through the window. <laughs> yeah. After he signs his contract, go over there and tell him to buy you dinner. He could afford it. I want to buy him. <laughs> See, here's the weird thing. I want to buy him dinner. Like, I want to buy Chase. And I want these guys. I'm like, no, I don't want to. I'm going to take you to dinner, bro. Because I know that he'll eat like a like a he'll probably eat like a a, a well done steak or something. No, he, he loves pizza. I think I remember he, he we miss Graziano's, which is a local pizza joint that he used to love. That was over in Spring Valley. It's no longer there, but I know that was one of the places we went when he beat his dad on a bet. He got to pick the pizza place, and it was Graziano's. Um, rest in peace, Graziano's. Yeah, and there's a couple other things I'll say about the White Sox and, and the trade deadline. Fans are already starting to fall into this trap. I urge you, please don't. Well, if we get Eloy and Robert back, that's better than any trade we can possibly make. Don't fall into that trap. Nothing is guaranteed. Eloy's not here yet. Luis Robert has not even started playing yet. There's no guarantee that come August 1st, there's not a relapse of an injury or something and they're gone for the year. And even if they make it back, you can still strengthen the team. So stop with the, oh, that'll be the best acquisition we can make. Frankly, I've talked about this before and I'll say it again. I would go put Joey Gallo in right field if I could, because I think it gives the lineup so much length, especially when you get Eloy and Robert back because you can put Eloy as the DH and leave Andrew Vaughn out in right in left field where he's starting to really look good. And he's starting to hit. He is really starting to hit. Uh, quick That's, interruption, by the way, Lance Lynn has finished yeah. his outing uh, in the all-star game and he went one inning, one walk, one strikeout, no runs. Yes. Let's see who's coming in now. Well, Gibson, uh, Gibson went. We were a little bit late. Gibson already went a scoreless too. Okay, so gotcha. top of the fourth now, but he went a smoke ring. So everybody so far one hit for uh, Gibson at least, but still smoke rings. Ales cruising along, two nothing. Knock on wood. So far, so good. Thanks and a lot, we Burns. Need... Yeah, no. Cover my, need... my man. Cover my man. Cover my man. Stupid yeah. Brewer just ruined the All Star game. No, uh... sorry. I always when I see Corbin Burns, all I think about is. Uh, Mr. Is, Burns? No, is um, the fifth element and Chris Tucker in his character. Come on, my man. Come on, my man. Come on, come on, come on, my man. What's wrong with you? Come on, my man. With that, like, funk, with that funky outfit. Yeah, and he like, but whenever I hear Corbin Burns, I think, come on, my man. Like, because Corbin Burns. Like, come on, my man. So I, 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 he ruined the All-Star game. So yes. that's what typical of the Brewers. I hope I hope now he ruins the rest of their season and the Cubs come back and win. <laughs> but <clears throat> I, I just urge fans, don't fall into that trap. Demand and expect more. Management is more than happy if they start hearing you go, well, these will be the best acquisitions we can make to sit on their hands. 
I'm not saying that if you say something, it'll force them to do something, but not saying anything and acquiescing to that thought process will make it easier for them not to do anything. Case in point, last year, everyone and their mother knew they needed another pitcher. They needed it. And everybody knew it before game three against Oakland in the first round last year. Everyone knew it. And I understand what the game plan was in game three. It was have Dane Dunning to start so that they stack their lineup one way, get Dunning through an inning at the most, and then bring Crochet in, you know, so that he flips, he screws everyone up in the lineup because they have it built for a right-hander instead of a left-hander. But then Crochet got hurt and everything went to hell after that. So please don't fall into that trap. And... Sorry, I had, I had yeah, to use that, that once during the I just got to remember which well I need deserved. to label the buttons. Uh, well deserved. <laughs> but, you know, now now that we've talked about the trade deadline and what we'd like to see the team versus what we expect the team to do, what do you think of the second half for the Cubs? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, there's not a great... I mean, I, I'd like to say that I'm super... I mean, I'm a very optimistic person. Obviously, born and raised a Cub fan prior to the, you know to the, them winning the World Series in this, this golden age of the Cubs where a lot of bandwagoners have jumped on. Uh, I was raved, I mean, my dad's, I'm a fifth generation Cub fan. I've been raised on wait till next year for pretty much damn my whole day, near life. So for me, my optimism is generally pretty strong. There's always, like, I'm always, I always believe. I always believe. Um, but if I have to be a realist, this is a lot more difficult for me, especially if the Cubs make some of these trades. If, if they trade away the bullpen, I think it's a little bit sal- salvageable because you know, I think the pressure of not getting traded after the trade deadline will have a huge emotional impact on Javi, on any of those guys in the clubhouse that are still here. Um, I think it's really the trade. This has been very difficult for these guys, all of them. I and mean, Contreras too. Like I, I do feel for him and I understand why he lost his cool. I really, I really do. I actually empathize, but you know, and you gotta, you just gotta control your shit a little bit. But he, in this case, I can understand why it pushed him. He was, pu- it's stressful. It's exhausting to hear this every day. Is today the day that I'm going to be told, go grab a suitcase, get on an airplane and go to New York or go to Atlanta or go to, you know, Oakland or wherever. And so, you know, I think that, that, that that's a big part of it. So I think that if, if the Cubs don't make major moves and they let this thing play out, I don't think the Cubs are completely dead in the water. Um, I think that that would make a difference. I think that after the all-star break, everyone needed a break after the the little bit of a, a blow up with, with Contreras at the end where, you know, he accused everybody else of, except for Javi of not, you know, hustling which is so ironic to me it's kind of like telling on yourself in my opinion he's a guy that would doesn't... that be why there was a rain out sunday when there was no rain <laughs> maybe um but the uh you know he's you know so with that said you know i think the cubs can i still think the cubs can can make a run they have a very favorable schedule it really depends on the brewers for the cubs i don't think i, I think the, the wild card is pretty much sealed because you know the, i think the west is going to steal it and take, oh, take double. Yeah, you know, it's pretty much. There's three. There's three teams coming out of the West. Yeah, no question. So it's really about will the Brewers collapse? And so you know, what about the Reds? I, I think the Reds will. I, I think the Reds will, will will fade down the stretch. Regardless, I don't think they've got. You know, I, I, they've always concerned me, but I don't think that this is it yet. And so, it you know, when the Cubs again. The Cubs were in first place and lost eleven games in a row. But at the same time, the Brewers won like ten games in a row, eleven games in a row. So it's like. That was the perfect storm of losing. So when if the Brewers do fade, who knows what happens in, in, in August? You know, you know the old Cubs thing was CUBS completely useless by September. Maybe the Brewers, who have no experience being a quality team getting this deep, will collapse under the pressure of trying to finish. You know, who knows? 
there's still a lot of games left. There's still 70-some-odd games left. There's a lot of baseball left in the season. So I got to keep optimistic. But, you know, if they make the, if they trade KB and they trade the, then now, nah, you're going to finish fourth in the part of the division. And the you know, worst coup de grace will be if the, the Cardinals will finish ahead of them because the Cardinals are a train wreck right now too. So um, we'll see. But uh, for me, you know, with the White Sox, I think the White Sox are going to have the best record in the AL. I think the White Sox are going to have a position for themselves to to really finish strong. And I think – even without moves, eventually when those guys come back, if they do come back strong, it's going to be lights out. Pray for the league. Um, and so, you know, enough. If you listen to Steve Stone today, Steve Stone believes that Tony La Russa is doing the best. He's the best manager of all time. Um, if that was, if I got that quote correct. He's the, I think it was, he's the best manager that Stone or he's ever seen. Ever he's seen. the best manager he's ever seen. Correct. My apologies right. for misquote. And the thing you got to remember about Stone this is a guy who played for Earl Weaver, who's not a bad manager in any sense, who's played against Billy Martin managed teams who say what you want about Billy Martin, a person, Billy Martin, a baseball manager was brilliant, a genius. Even Tony La Russa will tell you that he does not compare to Billy Martin, the manager. It's a sad thing that Billy Martin was such a freaking wacko off the field because what he did on the field was unbelievable. You know, a couple of simple facts about Billy Martin. Do you know who asked him to be, who, do you know what player asked Billy Martin to be his kid's godfather? Mm-mm. Rod Carew. On a family, Rod Carew. That's right. right. Back in, back in the Minnesota days. Cause he taught, as Rod put it, he's the one who took the shackles off of Rod and said, you know, this is how you hit. Hey, if it works, you hit. And you get on base, you run. Run all the time. That's why Rod Carew led the league in steals of home for like two or three years in a row in the late 60s, early 70s. Because there's Billy Martin telling him, just go. So, you know, to your point about the White Sox, I knock on wood when I say this. I think the division is there for the taking. I really, I think they put themselves in a great position to win the division. My concern is that if they don't have the great manager in Tony LaRusso, I know people are going to be pissed about this statement. I think Tony LaRusso has helped them to weather the storm with all of the injuries. Because if you look at it, out of your starting eight, that doesn't include the pitcher. Four of them are not there, including your gold glove center fielder, your possible 40 home run candidate in left field, your catcher, game caller, framer, and your gold glove slap happy second baseman. That's a lot of offensive firepower that you have lost. And to be where they are in the division, I think just, to me, reinforces Steve Stone's statement. Correct. Although, I'll say this, White Sox fans obviously need to get excited because Eloy seems like he's burning through his rehab assignment. Like, burning yes. through it. Like, again, he was his first game, he hits a home run, didn't he? His first, yes, he did. I mean, he sent piss, piss missiles all over the place. It, it's almost like he didn't skip a beat. That dude is ready. He's going to come back hungry to eat. Um, and he's going to, obviously, they're going to do what they can to protect him. I know he said he didn't like the DH, but he didn't, uh, it was actually, I feel like the quote by a couple of reporters in Chicago, um, 
like kind of manipulated what he said and didn't give full context. He was saying he just didn't, I mean, he doesn't prefer the DH. He wasn't saying he wasn't going to DH. And it sounded like he was saying, based on how they framed a couple of the responses, that he was saying he didn't want to DH. I mean, like he wasn't going to, and it was going to be a problem. It's not going to be a problem. Look, he's, it's a perfect way to sell him on like, learning a little bit. You know, I don't think that you lose anything with Vaughn out there. I think Vaughn's a better defender right now. And I think that keeping him safe is a great excuse for now. And working with him now, giving him reps every day, pregame, even postgame, building this kid out and, and teaching him how to maybe be a little bit safer out there prepares him for next year. And then you worry about next year, next year at right at this point, you don't have too many mouths to feed, but you don't also want to make sure that you're doing what's best for the players and their safety, even when they don't agree with you. Sometimes, sometimes it's being the adult in the room and saying, look, bro, we're going to keep you safe. Just I, go, just go rake and just, just rake and get going. And I think your statement about being the adult in the room is so key because I think there's a certain set of White Sox fans who don't understand that you don't need to be the best friend in order to get the, to have people do the job. You know, I've managed people. And the one thing I always made sure that I did, or in this case, didn't do when they were going out for drinks for happy hour and stuff like that, I didn't go for the simple reason they need that time. That's their time. They want to spend the entire time venting and bitching about me. Go for it. I don't need to be there for it. And I don't need to be your friend. I'd rather have you respect me as a leader, as a manager, than call me a friend. Because if I'm your friend, you might try and get away with more things than if you respected me as a leader. And I think that's what people need to understand about Tony LaRussa. Tony LaRussa doesn't care if his players like him or dislike him and anyone who, and I still hear this argument about Tony. He can't relate to today's swaggy player. Well, let me tell you, Tony LaRussa managed, perhaps I would say the swaggiest player of base in baseball history in Ricky Henderson. And he got some of the best years, including an MVP year, 1990 for those of you who don't know what year I'm talking about out of Ricky Henderson so saying he doesn't relate to today's swaggy player and all that other stuff well, here, is ridiculous here, let me let me let me uh let me just even I'll even touch on it even a little bit more um you know today he was he was asked here listen to this listen to this <laughs> players do what they want to do as far as you know once we step between the lines you know we're going to give them um you know such a great uh, a legend a legend why would you want to learn from a guy like that um so he put us in the best spot to be successful and uh, you know he's definitely leading us so that's tony russa saying that tony russa is a legend why would you not want to learn from a legend tony russa puts tim, in the tim anderson or tim anderson saying that said, yeah and uh putting putting yourself in a position he put you in a position to succeed like so that's a that's I mean, we've we've heard it from Jose Abreu. We've heard it from other guys, and people were oh, we're just towing the company. Tim Anderson had all the time in the world to just go ahead and just rail. It's the All Star game. He's got the best platform he could ever have. No, you know what he does? He talks about his head coach. That tells me a lot about Tim too. But it also tells me about what's going on in that clubhouse. That's a clubhouse. Why do they call it a clubhouse? Because it is exclusive. You have to be a member of the club to be in the clubhouse. And guess what? None of us are in the clubhouse. So speculate all you want. That clubhouse, what happens in that clubhouse stays in that clubhouse, and that is the end of it. So if they say that it's good, it's good, okay? So now either Tim Anderson's a liar. You want to call Tim Anderson a liar? 
do do your best. I dare you. Try to actually tell him to his face or accept the fact that these dudes like the dude. And again, old dudes fit well with young dudes. The joking and the fun stuff, like, again, you have no idea what this guy does in the clubhouse and why he is such an effective motivator and leader of men. Talk about his strategy all you want. Doesn't matter. He keeps the, he, he, he is, he is the keeper of, of, of the unit. Whereas Tim Anderson is the straw that stirs the drink. Tony LaRusso's job is to be the glue that binds them all together as one. And you hear it from Tim Anderson. He's done that because he lets them be themselves. I, I completely agree with you. And it just, it just amazes me because I've seen on Twitter where people say, oh, the manager doesn't mean anything, but he keeps setting out these stupid lineups that aren't optimal. Well, if the manager doesn't mean anything, how can you complain about the lineups not being optimal? It, it, it's no matter what he does, it's, it is, it is the Rusa derangement syndrome. There's a certain set of White Sox fans, no matter what he does, they will never accept him. And I get it. You may not agree with things that have happened in his personal life. You know what? I don't either, to be completely honest with you. But he did his time for his crime. He faced the consequences. Now, you can argue that maybe there was a payoff. I would not I would not uh, necessarily disagree with you on that. Oh, bail. But he, but he did <laughs> his fines. time. Yes. And I want to read to you another quote. This one from Adam Engel. And this was sent to me late Sunday night by our friend, Willie P friend of the show, Willie P Tony is very much about winning. Angle said the way he talks manages everything he does has just that feel of, I want to win tonight and I want to win at all costs. That's a huge part of our team. We started building that culture. And now that he's part of it, his personality suits us incredibly well. Now, if you were a player who was unhappy with Tony Larusa in the dugout, you would say something like, oh yeah, he's a good manager. Because Lord knows, I've been asked about managers I've worked for. And my tone in my response is different based on how I felt about them. Because if I liked the person, I would say stuff like, oh, real asset to the team, listens to what, you know, listens to input from everybody, blah, 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 versus, oh yeah, he's a good manager. So you could tell in the tone the players are taking that they like him because they wouldn't be as profuse with their, with their comments if they didn't. Case in point, look at, look at the feedback that Dallas Keuchel gave about Ricky Renteria last year and compare it to what you're hearing from these, a lot of these players about Tony. Case, that's the perfect example. Dallas Keuchel, yeah. oh yeah, he was the manager. Dallas Keuchel was tweeting as soon as Ricky was fired saying, oh, there's a job opening, thinking his buddy was going to get it, but that turned out to be wrong. <laughs> but I think the Sox in the second half, if they can get those players back and add and bolt on pieces, I think they can... I think they can make some noise in October. I really do. So not to like totally change the subject, but I'm seeing a clutchpoints.com trade uh, a proposal for KB for the White Sox. 
That's uh, DJ Gladney, who's like the, the White Sox, like fifth ranked prospect. And then Bailey Horn and Andrew Dahlquist, who are like 17 and 20 something. That ain't going to get it done. Just as an FYI. It, that's not going to get it done. This. I'm just saying the ask, that's not going to happen. That's not what you're going to need Gladney and you're going to need somebody else in the top 10. And then like maybe someone or, in the early you're gonna, teens. You're going to need like a Kelly at least yeah. in there. You're going to need two top 10s and one mid teens. That's what you're going to need. Now, again, is, am I saying that that's the proposal for you? No, that's a bad trade. The White Sox shouldn't make that trade. And, but that's what the Cubs no, the are White asking. Sox should make, no, the White Sox should make the trade you proposed. I would be driving them to the airport if that's what the Cubs wanted for Chris Bryant. C- correct. What I'm saying is, yeah. So like what I'm saying is, yeah, if you want the Chris Bryant trade to happen, it's not going to, it's not going to be, it's going to be a top two top tens, probably one top five, one top 10 and the one top mid teens. That ain't people ain't going to will that. Ain't, that ain't, and if I'm a White Sox fan, that ain't worth it for a rental. We have no guarantees. And I'm telling you right now, this off season is going to be an interesting off season in general, but you think you're crazy to think that the Oakland athletics who are soon to be possibly the Las Vegas athletic athletics aren't going to do whatever they can to secure the local Las Vegas boy and bring him back. If they were to make that switch, there's even talks that the, that the athletics are going to play in the downtown Summerlin ballpark where the triple eight, their triple A team plays right now, secure that temporarily playing under the 17,000 people until they can get the stadium built which will only see 20. I mean, we've talked about it here too, but remember I said that you should, you should not have like, it shouldn't be a 50,000. It should be like 25 right. to 30 They're They are talking about it. They're going to keep a line like Vegas always does. Um, and so you're going to have 20,000, 25,000, 30,000. So there's a talk. So that would be, you're going to a lot of people to negotiating with the Dodgers, the Padres, you know, Mets. Fuck off. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and I have to say Sox machine, uh, Josh Nelson from Sox machine tweeted something earlier today an article from the San Francisco Examiner, I believe it was, that his comment was, after reading this article and hearing Rob Manfred's comments, and I don't know what they are, that he was convinced that the A's are going to Oakland. And somebody else responded to it saying, well, what about Portland, Oregon? I hate to tell you this, right now, MLB is not going to put anything in Portland with all the stuff going on there. That is not a political statement. That is a business statement. They don't want to go someplace with stuff like that going on because they don't want to get sucked into it on either side. Well, I'm sorry. I was just reading, I'm reading the comments from the trade that nobody ever, nobody ever wants to give away the good ones. They always think that teams are just gonna be like, hey, give me well, your 39th ranked prospect for um, Mookie Betts. And that's just one thing that, and this is every fan base. This is not just Sox fans. Don't fall in love with the prospects. Correct. There are some prospects who are there who you know are the future of the team. Case in point, when the Cubs got Bryant. Case in point, when the Sox drafted Andrew Vaughn, when they drafted Nick Madrigal, you knew these were pieces that they were going to use for the team. Now, someone like Gavin Sheets, or Jake Berger, if they come up in trade talks and they can get you something of value, I'll drive them to the airport. And, you know, you have to separate your feelings for the player versus the person. Yes, the Jake Berger story is a wonderful story. Him coming back with everything he's gone through to get back and make it to the majors and play. It's an incredible story. I think everyone, everyone, anyone who has a heart should be cheering for the guy to succeed. But 
the White Sox are not there to have be a team to have a guy succeed so you could cheer for him. They're there to win the World Series. And if he could get you something of equal or greater value that will help you win and is something you need, you pull the trigger. Absolutely. Uh, update, by the way, on the All-Star game. Uh, they uh, National League has brought in, they brought in um, uh, Wilson, or excuse me, Rogers from the uh, Marlins, and he proceeded to give up a leadoff double to Hernandez from the Blue Jays. Error by Brandon Crawford, who was recently just into the game for uh, Tatis. And then a, uh, what does this say? Uh, looks like a strikeout from J.D. Martinez and a ground-out RBI from uh, Vlad. And now it's a 3 to nothing game with a runner on second. Vlad pushing for that. Make uh, that a 4 nothing game in yes. the top of the fifth. So, great job. So, who's, who's the manager for the uh, National League this year? Dave Roberts. Oh, Dave, already with the pitching decisions. <laughs> Dodgers fans are like, well, I've seen this show ha- before. <laughs> yeah, but he's just happy that Kevin Cash made a bigger bad pitching decision than he did last year. This is turning into a laugher. Yeah, four, four nothing. I mean, that's like a that's a, that's a lot of runs to to try and now, make up. Now the question I have for you about the uh, if the score stays like this, with the AL having a lead, who do you bring in for the ninth inning? Do you bring in Aroldis Chapman? Or do you bring in Liam Hendricks? Hendricks. Chapman's I been think that, Chapman's been poo-poo for like the last like week and a half, two weeks, hasn't he? They've been talking about moving you, him out of the bullpen or not moving out of the closer's role. Because I yes. picked up a dude in fantasy. They're like, this guy might be taking over for a second till till Chapman figures it out. Well, the funny thing is, if you look at Chapman, this is not bravado in saying this because the numbers back it up. He hasn't been the same since Andrew Vaughn hit that ninth inning homer off him in New York. That's interesting. He's had a a lot of issues since then. The Mets got to him. The Astros got to him. Well, the Astros always get to him, sometimes aided, sometimes not. Right, right. (laughs) And by the way, the Astros will be in town this weekend to face the White Sox, so I'm really excited to hear the kind of responses that the Altuves and Correas of the world get. Absolutely. And speaking of weekend entertainment, segue. Yes. Um, we definitely uh, finally are getting back to somewhat movie theater normal. And this week. Thank God. Oh, this past weekend was great. Uh, we've got our first in theater release of a new MCU installment uh, after the great shows the you know t- t- tonight at midnight we'll get the Loki finale oh I can't wait but um, getting Black Widow came out in theater so we've got our first MCU film which has been pushed I don't know how many times um, at in least theaters. a year yep and it, it had like three or four different release dates because uh, it was supposed to come out I think like last March and it's just pushed 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 and then 4th of July and then it's, now it's finally here and so both of us got a chance to see it, and we've actually yes. texted a ton. And Mailman Jax had his own opinions too in our little little DM or our little text thread. But I guess let's get to it, man. Uh, what did you think, and where would you place it on the Marvel scale as far as I, you don't have to give me like a, like a 14th, but would you say top, middle, or low tier? Where does it place you? Uh, where do you place that on the tier of the Marvel MCU films? And let's hear what you think. I, I'd say middle tier of the Marvel MCU films. Uh, I think the second and third Thor movies were awful, terrible. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Captain America and, and also uh, Captain America winter soldier. I think those guardians of the galaxy movies. And of course, Avengers Endgame are the best by far 
Uh, well, let me and of course the the first Iron Man movie. Because the first Iron Man movie standalone is a great, great film. And that's what started it all. But I thought part of the problem I had, problem's the wrong word, but part of the issue I had with the movie is that the end scene credit features someone who was supposed to be a surprise, but isn't because of an appearance on a different, and I'm not saying which one, I'm not, sure not, not going to spoil it, but there is a character right. that shows up at the end of this film that is also, and, and that could be many different characters, by the way, yes. uh, but it shows up that in has, one of the shows as well that gives him a little more context and backstory. Yes, that has appeared in one of the shows, and I believe it was supposed to be reversed where the reveal of this character occurred in the post-scene credit, and then they showed up on the show. I mean, so, either way, though, it doesn't really mess up with the narrative because right. uh, it's a collection kind of thing, and so... Um, do you want to keep going or do you, I mean, I, what, what, and, you're, what you're, what you're, yeah, what you're bringing I'll, up I'll, is the, is a big kind of reveal. We don't want to spoil well, it too much. Yeah. Well, Scarlett Johansson makes the two hours entertaining because to be a sexist pig, I could look at her all day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, one thing I, you know, when I said, have you guys seen it yet? And Jack said, no. So I go, okay, I'm going to hold my opinion on something. Or I'm going to hold my funny line on something until you see it. And he sent back a text saying he saw it and he referred to the character. I, he brought up the character I was thinking of before I even sent it. And I said, this character reminds me of the, I hope I say this right. Fyodor Dostoevsky novel, (laughs) the title of the novel, the idiot, because this character is an idiot in this movie. And I think that's part of the reason why it works because the character is an absolute idiot and revels in their idiocy. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that pretty much makes and sense. I will also say that Scarlett Johansson's mother in the movie still got it, still got a 98 mile an hour fastball. Yeah. yeah. She is 51 years old. Yes. And, and she is glorious. Just yeah. just beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, I'm I'm not even being like a dirty dude. I'm like saying like she is 51 years old and she looks the same as she did in in the mummy. Um she is gorgeous. Um yes. <laughs> skincare product. Let's go. Spill the beans, lady. Um <laughs> but the uh so yeah, her 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 role and of course um it uh, is now 4 to 1. A solo home run for the NL. I'm trying to see who hit it. It is. Oops, wrong side. Uh, Riamuro. Oh, there we go. Yeah, you can't do anything for me in fantasy, but you can hit home runs here. Yeah. Better late than. Oh wait, no, never mind. Um, so she's good <laughs> in that too. Yeah, and again, the uh, the performances. You know, what's his name uh, from from Stranger Things? Um, Harbor. Uh, David Harbor. Um, yes is is also a really good part you know i mean i, I don't want to cut off you're still if you're still kind of giving your giving no, your, i'm good but yeah i mean mcu stuff too but this was funnier than i thought it was going to be i thought it was actually there was way more humor than yes. i expected in how they you know with these characters i mean honestly um you know david harbour is obviously a funny guy um you know but he didn't even steal the show the, the show for me um 100 was was florence 
um, Pew, Pew. who plays um, Yelena Belova. Oh my God, she's hilarious. Like whether she's making fun of like the 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 traditional superhero drop or just her comments. The, the pose that that she the pose that the Scarlet, you know, uh, the Black Widow all always does. Right. Yeah. Because that was one of the funniest things throughout the that's, movie. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, like that that whole drop <laughs> and landing, and she's hilarious. So like everything she had the lines. She like every time she's about to like she got a, she's got a bazooka and she's got like a this would be fun to blow things like she's got just. She's got a line for everything. And she, to me, stole the show. I kept, you know, my, my, I was with my buddy and I kept shoulder. I'm like, she's hilarious, dude. She's still in the show. Because, I mean, honestly. You like, my, you like my vest. In a weird way. Yes, the vest is hilarious. <laughs> that whole thing. And so, and the weirdest part about this whole film felt like the least interesting character, which is fine, was Scarlett Johansson because we're so used to her. These are all new yes. characters built around her. So they don't have to establish much for her and, and. Again, the performance are from the kids too, and in, in, in early flashbacks. But you know, David Harbor and, and Florence Pugh to me steal the show. Um, I, I thought it was great. I th- again, it, it does fill in some blanks. You've got some appearances by some of these other, you know, at, you you've got other characters that have been in the, in the series. And one of the one of the big things, the debates that are coming out of this film is because multiple characters make appearance in this, and mul- same of these characters make appearances in some of the other. Um, MCU TV shows. So there's actually two, I believe, that make appearances. So this is really can muddy the water, so we're not really spoiling anything. But the belief of one of these two characters' existence could mean the creation of a new MCU team, much similar to the uh, the Avengers, that's called the Thunderbolts. Um, now, in the comic adaptation, uh, it's it's uh, uh, General Ross, who leads this team much like a, like a Nick Fury type of character. Um but obviously they're more anti-heroes-ish. And so like you're talking about characters like, I don't know if you know that, but you know, General Ross eventually becomes the Red Hulk. Um, you've got Gen- Baron Zemo, who played a huge role in Winter Soldier and Falcon show. Uh, he, he was one of the most, he was probably the most popular character in the show um, as, as a member. The Taskmaster, who shows up in, obviously this new Black Widow film. Ghost, who showed up in Ant-Man and Wasp. You've got the Punisher, who's obviously established in the universe. You've got Abomination, who actually showcases he's going to be in the new um, Shang-Chi and the, Ten, and, and the, the Legend of the uh, Ten Rings or whatever. Um, he's giving the trailer. Justin Hammer, we never saw what happens to Sam Rockwell's Justin Hammer. I would like to see him come back because I love Rockwell. Um, and we, you, know, you could possibly get a couple of these Black Widow characters that may do it. And you've got John Walker, who was at, uh, in the, uh, the new Captain America, uh, the Winter Soldier show. He was the guy that played the new Captain America. But the number one most popular character in the Thunderbolts, Deadpool. Oh, hell yes. Boom. Give me Ryan Reynolds all day long. The Merc with the mouth gets his X-Force, but it becomes this, this, this Thunderbolts. And so he's in the, in the comics. He's there. So there's so many connections that could happen through this. And so, again, this narrative is so cool. Again, Loki has been killing me. But all these shows and how they the, – the, the crafting from Kevin Feige and how he's just crafted this universe – um, you know, you got the Spider-Man, you've got the new, um, the new cat, you know, the, the new, um, uh, a multiverse of madness coming out with, uh, Dr. Strange, you, you know, directed by Sam Raimi who did, you know, evil dead and the first three Spider-Man films back in the two uh, thousands with Tobey Maguire. Um, so that means Bruce, the Bruce way, Campbell will be in it, which is awesome. Spider-Man two came out in 2004, maybe the best Spider-Man movie of them all. Mm-hmm. That's the one with Dr. Octopus. Correct. And he also. Uh, is 
in the film. Um, what's his name? Who plays Doc Ock in that film is also in the new Spider-Man film. Um, oh, no kidding. Yep. He's really? playing himself. He's Doc Ock. I mean, there's going to be so many. There's the, there, again, the rumors for the new Spider-Man, for example, the multiverse, where you, they're saying that secretly Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield have been secretly cast. And are as, as, as what I read, and one, one rumor thing was that he, they're as main a character as Tom Holland. That would be unbelievable of a film. We, I mean, everybody loved the um, the uh, the animated uh, Spider-Man. Um, what was it Into the Spider Verse? Um, far from Home or whatever? No, Into the Spider Verse, the the animated oh, film go. from from um, the dudes that originally were directing uh, the Han Solo movie. Then they were fired because Kathleen Kennedy thought it was too funny. So, and then they went and did uh, that film, which was great. Um, so, there's a lot of stuff coming down the line. I think that that Marvel, you know, the one benefit of the um, the pandemic has been that some of these Marvel projects got almost getting like, they're so backed up. They've got to get out of the can and they got to get released. So we're going to see a lot more of them you know, over shorter amounts of time until they can get caught back up. Cause then we got, obviously we got the fantastic four joining and we got Wolverine who they, they showcase um, uh, what's the city uh, in, uh, in winter soldier and Falcon show. They go to the city, Maripur, 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 which is where patch owns a bar. I think it's called like the pink flamingo. A way to introduce Wolverine into the universe is to have Wolverine just be in Madripoor and hey, what's up, guys? You've got a lot of things. Drink. Yep, because he likes to drink. And you know, so you've got all these characters that need, now need to be implemented. I mean, obviously, everyone wants Deadpool, so he more than anything, Deadpool needs to be in as soon as possible. But um, it's 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 going to be interesting how they're just they're threading this needle they, and they just keep doing it so well. It just makes the Star Wars stuff feel like such a failure. <laughs> I Means, I mean, I love Kathleen Kennedy, but it feels like like times passed her by, and I am happy to know that. Um, as, as amazing as she's been and the, the, the incredible amount of content she's created over the course of her career, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars, like all this amazing. I, I think we're ready for, for Taika Waititi, John Favreau, and Kevin Feige, who now has been pushed a little bit into the Star Wars universe to go ahead and take over and now thread this needle the same way that they did with the Marvel stuff. Because those three in the Star Wars universe would blow my mind. And John Favreau, just for those who don't know, is the same John Favreau who was in Swingers, Correct. Who played D Bob in the movie Rudy and was Pete Monica's like secret, like he was secretly in love with Monica and they wound up dating software genius billionaire boyfriend. UFC he's fighter. The one, he's <laughs> the one who bought Monica a restaurant because he was in love with her. Yep. He's also the director of Elf, Iron Man, and Iron Man 1, the first of the new MCU. So if you want to really reboot out the Star Wars universe, I think uh, a John Favreau film produced by Kevin Feige might not be a terrible idea. And he and he also played Tony Stark's bodyguard in all of the Iron Man movies. Happy. Just a small part. And he's in the Spider-Man movies. The new, he's 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 basically taken on the ward uh position with uh, tom holland and and he kind of has a crush on uh, aunt may there's a little romance budding. oh my god when marissa tomei as aunt may is is some other kind of like mind blower right there because she is just like rachel wise she's she's in her 50s and she is just gorgeous just gorgeous just a beautiful yes. beautiful woman like I, I you know you'd love to see people that, that that don't age well you know you've got you know you know ladies they got their tom cruises Right, he could be seventy. Probably looks the same. Harrison George, Ford, George Clooney's Brad Pitt's. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So you know, it's it's. But yeah, that that's a. So we'll see what happens. But this, you know, that was a great film. And so I'll segue this too because we were in Minnesota. So I went and saw Black Widow with my 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 buddy Josh. Uh, we were there. My girlfriend was in a Tough Mudder competition. So we went during the Tough Mudder. We went and drank beer and watched the movie. Um, but uh, on the way out of Minnesota, we were able to you know we obviously read up on some of the history of Minnesota and one of the big burger 
lore things in Minnesota is the burger called the Juicy Lucy. Now, there's two places, the 5-8, uh, the 5-8 Club, which used to be a speakeasy all the way from like 1929 or 1923 and claims to be the first one to ever make it. A Juicy Lucy, by the way, is a cheeseburger with American cheese in the core, and it's cooked that way. So when you take a bite, the cheese just comes right out. Now, that's spelled regular Juicy Lucy, J-U-I-C-Y Lucy. Now, there's another place called Matt's Bar, uh, Matt's Tavern, or Matt's, uh, I think it's just, it's just Matt's, whatever. That one is a claim to be the best of the Juicy Lucy's, that one around the same time. So they have like these Juicy Lucy throwdowns. They spell theirs J-U-C-Y-L-U-C-Y, so they spell it different too. So anyway, on the way out, got a chance to stop at the 5-8 and get, get one of these Juicy Lucy's. I've been craving it forever. And Matt's was just impossible to get to and with our time constraints, with our flight. So we went in there and I got this Juicy Lucy. And I'm telling you right now, it was glorious. Like grilled onions on top, American cheese in the middle, JoJo's, which are called like basically just wedge cut fries, uh, like potato wedges. Um, Glorious burger. The cheese, you know, they're like, be careful on your first bite because I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> Give it to me. And so, um, but uh, delicious burger. And so, if, if, and those of you who have ever been to Minnesota, if you get a chance to go, those are the two top places for it. Uh, Matt's has been rated as usually as the best, but the, the the general consensus, it sounds like, is that the 5.8, because it's been a speakeasy and whatnot, it's been around for a lot longer, is kind of the, the, the originator of it. And they have better buns. Sorry, uh, I have to say that. But uh, well, that makes me that question. Um, everyone loves burgers. My nickname's the Cheese Burglar when I was in college um, in high school. So my question to you is, Pete, what are your five favorite burgers? Now, it could be from a fast food place. It could be from like a, a mom and pop. It could be from a gourmet restaurant, like a Salt Bay. It doesn't matter. What would be your top five favorite burgers you have ever had? All right. I will immediately rule out gourmet restaurant because there's not too many gourmet restaurants I've been to. I'd say the closest I've come to a gourmet restaurant is going to like the Palm or Ruth Chris for, a you know, throw Bessie on the grill and plop her on my, on my plate. <laughs> So, well, don't worry. None, is, none of those high-end burger places will even. If I've had them at some of these places here in Vegas, like but I, they won't. and all that stuff here, never been to. Won't even be in my top five, even if they, I, even though I've have had some of them. So don't worry about that, because I know mine. <laughs> okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm the Payless Shoes burger lover of uh, Vegas, apparently. But one that comes to mind is a place. It was. It's located at 58th and Kedzie, and it's named Mickey's. And this was a place I'd go to grammar school, high school years. And a few years after that, while I still lived in the neighborhood, uh, this was a place that grilled the onions with the burger as they cooked it. Oh, and, yes. Oh, it was, that was good eating. Uh, God, I might have to go there this weekend. <laughs> now you're making me hungry. Damn it. Almost, but almost another dinner place, time for me. <laughs> yeah. Another place I can immediately well one guilt i will say there's one guilty pleasure on my list and that is the mcdonald's two for four dollar cheeseburger deal with a diet coke <laughs> that was the the emergency fast drive-through selection two cheeseburgers a diet coke and tell you what throw an apple pie in there what they're two for 99 cents okay give me two apple pies then and if i was feeling really adventurous it was a milkshake <laughs> But so that, uh, trying to think of what else, um, I'll tell you, Buffalo Wings and Rings has a, a black and blue burger, which is pretty damn good too. Uh, you know, blue cheese with it. 
and all the fixings and everything else. I think that would be one that's up there. And In-N-Out Burger, without question, is probably one of the best burgers I've ever had. And, you know, you get the fries with it, animal style, mind you, and a, and a vanilla shake, and you're good to go. Okay, so you, 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 your number one is In-N-Out. You're gonna laugh. Yes. You're gonna laugh. At my, you're gonna laugh at my list because there is again, like I said, there is no gourmet on here. I, I would say, you right. know what? I'll be honest. Number five is that Juicy Lucy. Uh, that was that, okay. that one that, that cracked the top five uh, with the grilled onions on top. Oh my god, the grilled onions! Right. So many grilled onions too. So many grilled onions. So <laughs> good on top of that. Every it's bite with cheese. With yep, exactly. Every bite had cheese, uh, and every bite had it. So uh, uh, another update. Another solo home run for the American League. They are now leading five to one. Zunino is off. Taiwan Walker. KB is and in the game in left Mike field. KB is in left field, by the way. So he's in the game. And it was Mike Zanino who hit it. Correct. And the catcher from the Royals, um, who's on my fantasy team. Um, or was. No, he's Tampa. Or Tampa, excuse me. Is on my fantasy yeah. team. So Sal Perez is the catcher for the Royals. <laughs> yeah, my bad. The fu- part of the fun police with Yadier Molina. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so fourth on my list is actually a place here. It's a West Coast thing. Um, uh, it's Hodads. Um Actually, yeah, Hodad's in San Diego. Um, it's a Southern California joint. Oh, my God. It, the burgers are humongous. If you go and you get a double, good luck. Um, I made the mistake of that one time. We had a fantasy draft last year. And I was in San Diego for Memorial Day weekend or Liberty weekend. Got a Hodad's, ordered a double to go. Got home. I had to bite the bottom half and then the top half. It, the patties, it, a single is a huge burger. So the double is a monstrosity. But it's, it's an Ocean Beach, original Ocean Beach on the beach, um, burger place. There's also one right by Petco. If you're in, in, in San Diego going to see a Padres game, um, there's one right by Petco. Not right around the corner. You can see Petco from the corner. Call it the right name, Slam Diego. <laughs> and so that's that's number four for me. Um, three for me is another West Coast is Fat Burger. Um, I don't like, I mean, In-N-Out's good. In-N-Out just barely is out at that top. Um, and I'll explain here in a second why. But Fat Burger to me is my favorite of those chains. I like Five Guys. I like In and Out. Like of these, you know, I like I like um what's the Five what's Guys the, is another one for Shake, me. Shake Shack I like a lot too. Those yes. are great. Um, but Fat Burger to me is is just better. You get a Fat Burger. I'm not a big fan of the egg, but you get a Fat Burger with everything else on it, and in an order of fat fries, you you know, and you put a little ketchup on your plate and you dip your burger and you know little little leavings fall off, and you get these big old fat fries. And use the fat fries to scoop up all the leavings with the ketchup, and it's like it's like it's like beef fry nachos when with relish and 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 mustard and everything. It just wah. So and I think the catch using the ketchup, having it like some ketchup on the side and dipping the burger in there isn't for a lot of people. They don't do it, and you're missing out. Yep, it's it's an absolute treat to control and the amount of ketchup you, on the burger. And not only that, also sprinkle a little salt on the ketchup. Well, yeah, another place I was almost put on my list was Slater's 50-50, which they do 50-50 burger. Their burger patties are 50-50 bacon and, and chuck or whatever it is. And they actually do like bacon ketchup and stuff. So that's, that was, I'm not a big fan of the bacon ketchup, but Slater's was close. They're, they're out there, uh, their backyard burger or whatever it's called. It's like their original basic, like just cheeseburger. I love it. Um, but that's not it. So number two for me though, Wendy's, but not now Wendy's, 1980s Wendy's with the smaller smashed patties, burnt at the ends on those giant buns with the, the, what's the, 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 the um, what's the, with the salt on top of the little salt. What are those called? Um, it was the big classic 
in my a 1989 not the, not the sea salt right no 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 a, here's the sandwich for me a 1989 double big classic with cheese the old big classic burger from wendy's that's my number two favorite burger i have ever in my in my world now i don't know if it could ever be recreated i could i've bought those buns before i've tried it nothing ever measures up to the to the 1980 just that version of it, it was me as a little kid 12 year old kid Maybe not in 19, but like the 90, you know, 1989 going, I like a double big class with cheese. Like it was so fast. It came off like when I would order the kids, be like the person at the counter would be like, what did you say? I'm like a double big classic with cheese. Like I knew how to order it. And so huge, big, <laughs> good burger. That's number two for me. And then here in Vegas, if you're ever here in Las Vegas, you get off the strip, you go to East Lake Mead, 2300 East Lake Mead in North Las Vegas. Um, it's, it's in a little bit of a rougher part of town. It's near, you know, it's a, uh, again, it's North Las Vegas is a place called Cali Bombs and Burgers. Um, the, Cali bur- the Cali Burger from there. Now, you liked In-N-Out. So yes. now imagine taking a larger patty, just as good quality, and a burger built on a larger bun, exactly like an In-N-Out burger. It's, a, it's an In-N-Out burger on steroids. It is better. And if you really want to get crazy, they have the Cali Bombs, which are like Awesome Blossom fried onion like type of things. They do a burger, a Cali Bomb burger with the onion, with the Cali Bomb onion, fried onion on top of it. So you can imagine getting a burger with an awesome blossom on top of it for your onions. And then they put the sauce on and everything like that. But it is incredible. I was a guy here, uh, Fugu Burger here in Vegas is fantastic too. And Colin Fukunawa, um, I've known him since um, I worked uh, back from like 2000, like in 2008. And he started his own food truck here that's like one of the most popular burgers that are actually sold at you'll have a probably you might even have a fugu burger at the raiders game they're one of the burger joints in allegiant stadium for the raiders game Uh, oh nice and so he's he's really done it well he's the one that goes dude this is my you know one of my favorites go check this out so i went over there i used to go get it was near where i got vaccinated at cashman field i would intentionally go get vaccinated or covid tested where they were doing covid tested over there because oh there's a cali bomb over there so if i go get covid tested i can go around the corner it gives me an excuse to go get a cali bomb and then when i got vaccinated i'm like i'm gonna get vaccinated because cali bombs right across the street so it was literally like it got me through the pandemic of being safe and making sure i wasn't spreading the disease or the virus because cali bombs that's why I'm, I, I credit my covid ninja skills of not getting covid even though my girlfriend got covid and all my best friends got covid and i was in the same house as a girlfriend with covid and you know in the same bed as a girlfriend with covid and it didn't get covid I claim it's Cali burgers, Cali bomb burgers and sativa. It did the job saved. So uh, that, that would be my list. So if you're ever in Vegas, it's 2300 East Lake Mead, Cali bombs and burgers go there hungry. If you get a double, you're a champ, but get that, get get a, get a, at least an onion bump or you can get a carne asada fry Cali bomb, which is carne asada on the Cali bombs with like hot, cheddar, hot, hot Cheeto and like this nacho cheese, like flavoring sauce they have. It's ridiculous. Oh, by the way, I have some more breaking news. This is related to Alliance Stadium, the home of the Las Vegas Raiders. They are pleased to announce that they that world-class soccer is coming to Allegiant Stadium. They will be the home of the 2021 and 2022 League's Cup Final, which will be a single eliminate eh, a single elimination tournament features clubs from MLS major league soccer and Mexico's top flight leagues. Yep. Get your tickets now starting to come together. <laughs> yes. We just had a Garth Brooks concert like yesterday or two days ago. They had an EDC concert like, last week. 
it was that COVID really liked and, both of those. Um, but and and the Garth Brooks concert was supposed to be the first event there in 2020. Last summer for July, got thought. pushed back. Right. And that was yeah, that was big. That was because they were like yes. we're going full head of steam, and then they had to actually do it. And, and you know, the, the the there were some parking issues from people that so it was really weird. People complaining about the parking and stuff. Like if, if you look at the videos of people leaving, the they, they guys have you ever heard of a Lyft and an Uber? Like, holy smokes, like, look, people are complaining about parking. Well, take a lift there. Yeah. You take a $10 lift instead of paying $40 for parking. What, like, what are you doing, guys? Or park at, park at Mandalay Bay and walk across the bridge. And, there, and that's the thing is, well, that's where people were going, to the Mandalay Bay. But it, it, if you look at the video footage, it, it's crazy. It blocked off, like, like a little bit of traffic because people are, like, upset. But it's like, plan ahead. People that were like, I couldn't take my person. It says on your ticket, no purses this size. And so my buddy actually said they need to put maybe some paid lockers down there because people just don't follow directions. I'm like, no, make, no, them, go, no, make, make them go back to their car at the New York, New York. If they didn't read their ticket and, and see that it says no bags of this size or clear this, follow directions, people. Read your directions. And okay? here's a hint. That's also in place at Guaranteed Rate Field. Correct. And Soldier Field, and- too. Yeah, yeah clear bags. field is no bags. Yeah, don't have to be, oh, I thought, don't they have the clear bags. I thought they had the clear bags before, but no, they they did go to the clear bags. Now they no bags, and sense. guaranteed rate is they'll allow like diaper bags in, but that's it. And they have guys out there holding a measuring stick, like a measuring plate, if you will, that you need to put your bag on, and if it's bigger than this plate, you're not allowed in with it. Makes sense. Makes sense. But well, yeah, and you know, so God, the burger talk got me hungry. I know it's about that's why I'm thinking about it. it's about time for my dinner here. I haven't gotten to yeah. eat yet, but this has been a good one too, man. We've we've talked about some some pretty good stuff. Some really we had some yeah. breaking news on the air tonight. That was pretty cool. Yes. Um, and obviously, you know, we've got a lot of stuff obviously come back. So and 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 now we can get back to our regular normal time, which is generally yes. on Sunday evenings recording and then posting on Mondays. Uh, just again, we've had some travel stuff and everything going on with like uh, 4th of July and holidays and stuff. But uh, I'll tell you this, you know, before we, you know, you dip us out of here or whatever, it's been, it's obviously been a great pleasure to, to share that moment with you too, Pete. Um, and to, to be able to share with you guys, if you're listening, um, the excitement of someone like, like again, Tanner McDougal, that's a very rare, you know, I'm very, 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 very happy and overjoyed with that. So um, thank you guys too for, for tuning in. But um, Pete, you know, it's always a pleasure to hang out and talk. So Absolutely. why don't you take us on out of here? You got any closing thoughts and then give us a, give us a goodbye. The only closing thought I have is again, and extending an invitation to the McDougal family first rounds on me. If you're in town this weekend to sign a contract, feel free to stop by the 108 section 108 row 16 seat one. You can find me there. And I'm sure the other members of the 108, my sock summer, Cherizi, beef loaf, Wally money, We'll be more than happy to buy rounds for you too. Well, maybe not Wally Money. He's a little cheap, but I'm sure all the rest will be happy to buy rounds for you too. But he'll give you a free exotic dance. Yes, he will. And 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 relish it too. He'll he'll work for it. And with and with that sexy, appealing thought in everyone's mind. Remember, you won't get drunk if you don't if you don't drink the shots you're given. Although Ha. Wow.